It's Friday, January 21st, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! Still Snoop Dogg and D.I. Guess who's back? Steak. Still doing that Andre? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Check me out. It's still Trey Day. A.K. Though I've grown a lot, can't keep it home a lot. Because when I frequent the spots that I'm known to This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. You can find them at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STATE15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, custom orders available. Use the code STATE for 5% off your order. Don't get ready. Stay ready. You know, we've got a flash sale going on one of our pillowiest partners. Pillowful. There you go. Mike Lindell's got some uh, Giza Dream sheets on sale right now. Sets as low as $39.99. Oh, dang. In addition to those Giza Dream slippers, now 50% off. You can find it at uh, mypillow.com forward slash steak. Of course, you're going to enter stake at checkout as your promo code, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative from MyPillow at 1-800-658-8045. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear specializing in headphones, or as I like to call them, the top tier of ear gear, can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, still rocking the khakis with the cuff and the crease, sticky green and bad traffic, I dip through. You can find it all at Odyssey. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, and they're at odyssey.com. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. He's a licensed FFL if you like tradesies. He's got a newly redesigned website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's also got ammo. You talk to him on uh, Facebook Messenger or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. First responders continuing to uh, work hard as always. Seems to be the uh, Narcan season that we're in the midst of right now. And, oh, Narcan uh, season. Gotta love it. Sniff, sniff. Whether uh, they're wearing t-shirts, sweatshirts, flip-flops, fanny packs. Fanny packs full of Narcan. There you go. While off-duty, they got them stickers and patches for when they're uh, out there working in the field. They love shopping at MediocreMedic.com. You can find them on Instagram. They're pretty fire. And then uh, last but certainly not least, the top tier of Tactical Flare. All of those uh, add-ons and more can be found at Dumpbox. Go ask Mark Joe Friday about the Zero Fucks Duck. If you don't know, you better ask him. You can find them on Facebook and at Dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our Telegram, and more. And on that note, welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 101. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette joined us. Hey, guys.
We've got uh, an America First Friday edition today with Pennsylvania State Senator and gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano joining us. In addition to South Carolina One, primary challenger of Nancy Mace, Lynn's Piper Loomis, and running in North Carolina Seven, Bo Hines coming up. But before we get to that, let's get to the news. Well, it's been a year since Joe Byron has been whatever he is into the... Joe Byron! Byron. Bing bong. Byron. <laughs> I would say occupies the Oval Office, but he doesn't even do that anymore. Has he ever been in there? Who knows? Yeah, I think he signed something in there once, but he didn't know what he was signing. They were all blank, remember? Yeah. <laughs> the, he remember did they it. were blank in the beginning? I couldn't believe it. We'll, <laughs> we'll add it later. Much like we'll his mind, post. which is also blank. Yeah. Uh, and probably the reason why this is only the second press conference he's given since he gave his second press conference since being inaugurated, whatever, in, in, into office <laughs> last year. Inaugurated. It was a weirdie. I mean, I had to uh, kind of sit through it. And, uh, you know, for the show, I'm sure you guys have all seen snippets online. And then to our listenership as well, I'm sure you've all seen parts of it. We're going to take some of the... I don't even want to call him juiciest, mm. just Joe Bideniest ones that he gave. Yeah, uh, you could we we could really start to uh, continue to paint the narrative on just what we're working with here. So early on in the press conference, he was pressed on the Afghanistan withdrawal. It's kind of been out of the news cycle for a while. However, we do have to remember the the immense losses, literally and figuratively, that we incurred during that, both with you know, $90 billion worth of military equipment and then 13 servicemen and women who, who died in, in addition to nearly 30 other ones being, you know, bombed for life. Mm. So let, <clears throat> as well affected. Oh yeah, of course. And then all the families who it affects and then just our global stance as well. Let's hear him kind of uh, start to field questions. Now the, the, some of these are off the pre-approved list of 10 he did before he serviced like nine more. Well, did he have the uh, the list of people he's supposed to call on again? With color-coded pictures and everything. <laughs> so, yeah, it was co- completely staged. Everything. I'm waiting for the press pool oh. to like have like the have like a freaking shell. I have I have the conch. I don't even know if these things are live. We we had somebody, you know. I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, dig in on Jen Psaki on, on MSNBC last week and say, you know, a lot of these press conferences aren't even live. And I'm just like, ooh, that's a. That's juicy. Because I usually think when they go live, they're live. But apparently they aren't. They're so, still that bad. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Because all the stuff that you see, and I've said right. this before, just imagine that that is the best of the best of the however many takes that they did. And they were finally just like, fuck it, whatever. Just use that one. Which is insane because. Because they're bad. Imagine, yeah. Imagine how how bad it really is. Yeah. And if it was live, it would be a disaster. Like he actually poops his pants. I, I've come to the conclusion that if a video crew could follow him around for, for just one day, 24 hours, unadulterated, unedited, we would be invaded immediately. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm literally there. Probably. So, Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's 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 hear question one coming in hot about <laughs> Afghanistan right now. There is no way to get out of Afghanistan after twenty years easily. Oh. Not possible, no matter when you did it. Oh. And I make no apologies for what I did. I have a oh, great what? concern for oh, the women yeah. and men who were blown up on the line at the airport by a terrorist attack against them. But the military will acknowledge, and I think you will, who know a lot about foreign policy, that had we stayed and I had not pulled those troops out, we would be asked to put somewhere between 
20 and 50,000 more troops back in. So I think it's a good Which tell. Which we're probably going to do anyway. Yeah, it was a pretty good tell last week when we had Cash Patel on. Yeah, that's um, exactly what I was going to mention. Who said ground troops were coming in. And we just have to remember what we're working with here. Let's look at the difference between, you know, what we've had for the last 12 months and, and what we had before that. So throughout the back end, second half of the Trump administration, Donald Trump had done a couple things. Uh, on three continents, he had completely destroyed ISIS by, by you know, using a multi-pronged attack with special forces and, you know, drones, missiles off of... You know, there's some spicy drone strikes. There were some great stuff. And and if that wasn't enough to destroy the caliphate in Iraq and and, and Syria and northern Africa, they then quickly responded to the uh, proxy Russian bounty via Iran and vaporized Soleimani. So peace through strength was really being flexed at that point. And and by flex, I mean, in, in, you know, cruise missiles. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, don't fuck with us. Joe Biden comes in with General Milley, and we've already painted an excellent picture of him for our listenership based off of commentary from Peter Navarro, Amanda Milius, Cash Patel. They've all kind of weighed in the same way and gave us different takes on him and just how he kind of fell into his job and what he's been before it. So when when Joe Biden references the military experts and says they'll, they'll surely say there was no other way. Well, you know, they must have been finally tired of winning by the time Joe Biden got to office because it seems like that's what we were doing a lot to the Islamic State and, and our proxy war with Iran. And don't call me Shirley. And there you go. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of... So answer to the Afghanistan requ- question was no regrets. <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> and I'll do it again, essentially. So and, I would do it again the same way without making any changes whatsoever. They got to remember a lot of these questions were in the softball oh. of nature coming again off of the pre-approved list and not live was one of the ones that said, you know, okay, let's talk about how awesome you're doing now. And then let's look down the road to 2024 is Kamal Harris still going to be your running mate. Like how is that question relevant to anything that's going on in this country right now? How does yeah. that question generally affect anyone who's living in the United States or U.S. citizens abroad and and try to answer any of the questions to, you know, what the hell is going on with this administration exactly. But we're going to play it, get his random weird answer again. You put Vice President Harris in charge of voting rights. Are you Mm. satisfied with her work on this issue? And can you guarantee, do you commit that she will be your running mate in 2024, provided that you run again? Yes and yes. <laughs> Next. Okay. Uh, Pardon me? Do you care to expand? On no, voting? there's no need to. I mean, you know, I asked okay. the question. He, she's going to be my running mate, <laughs> number one. And number two, I did put her in charge. I think she's doing a good job. So one of two things can happen. Either, either Damn! He, he has to eat, live those words and eat them. <laughs> or he or she has to die. Those those are the only two options and only way to get out of that. I like the if if you run again. I mean, I guess they can always create, like, this fake scandal and get her out of there because I know their offices don't even talk to each other anymore. Well, like her giving Hummers? (laughs) It's Anna Navarro. She tweeted, like, not even, like, yesterday, uh, Biden-Harris 2024, so I think that's where the media got the idea for that question. Yeah, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it's just not something that... You know, when you're, gonna, yeah, that's like one of the ones you try to pepper him with as he's like walking away. Right. It's like, there's no, what's the point in asking? How did that, that how did that question get approved though? 
because it was the one that required the easiest answer. Yeah. Yes and yes. Would you, do you care out. to expand? No. no. <laughs> Next. <laughs> one that I thought was pretty relevant and, and definitely affects probably an, an overwhelming majority of our listenership out there is, is the school closure one. You know, we, we weighed in on the numbers a few weeks ago on the show and we talked about how even though the Biden administration claims that 95% of the schools in the United States are now open and not working remotely anymore, 95% of the schools still means there are hundreds of schools across the country that are closed. And that's just unacceptable. You've seen so many different stats in the legacy media right now when they do these digs on the school closures about, you know, adolescent and teen depression, adolescent and teen suicide. The, the grade rates have dropped down by, I think, nearly 40%. The attendance rates... That's why they got rid of the grades. Yeah, the national attendance rates was, uh, on average, a student missed 11% of the school year. Uh, via absences before the COVID scamdemic. And now we're up in the 30% national average. That's not going to long-term so every, affect them. No, it'll be fine. And now I'm not a math wizard, but that just means essentially every 10 days, your uh, student could be missing three days of school. Just imagine, how do you survive? Especially when you get into like, you know, middle school and high school where those grades really start to count. And I know they waived a lot of the stuff for, for COVID as far as getting into college and they're dropping entrance and exit exams, both out of high school and to get into college. But those aren't going to last forever. Mm-mm. You know, at, at some point when you start, and I'm talking in reference to the border now, incorporating your best Ooh. into these major universities. So just imagine the student version of economic migrants and MS-13 gang members. <laughs> what are you going to start having at school? You're going to have a whole bunch of people failing. You're going to have a whole bunch of people racking up all this debt and, and just not even finishing. And it's definitely something that, uh, you know, needs to get addressed and, and, and is not right now. They're more worried about gender pronouns and everyone's racist. So, Well, then grades are racist. Let's hear them get grouchy right now about uh, being asked about the school closures. And on Omicron and education, teachers are in result in some in revolt in so many places. Parents are at odds over closing schools and remote learning. You say we're not going to go back to closing schools. You said that just moments ago, uh, yet they're closing in some areas. Yep. What do you say to those teachers and principals and parents about school closings? And what can your administration do to help make up for learning loss for students? First of all, I put in perspective the Can't question you asked. It. Very few schools are closing. That's our first whisper. We're 95% are still open. 95%. So you all phrase the questions when people, I don't think it's deliberate on your part, but you phrase the question when anybody watches this on television. My God, there must be all those schools must be closing. What are we going to do? There are. 95% are still open. Hundreds of schools. Number two, the idea that parents don't think it's important for their children to be in school, and teachers know it as well, that's why we made sure that we had the ability to provide the funding through False. the Recovery Act, through the, act that we, the, the, the first act we passed, to be able to make sure schools were able to be safe. So we have new ventilation systems available for False. them. We have the way they handle, they scrub down laboratories and and, I mean, the laboratories kids go to to go to the bathroom, uh, cafeterias, buses, laboratories. All that money's there. There's billions of dollars. Wuhan laboratory. It's there. Uh, Not every school district has used it as well as it should be used, but (laughs) it's there. And so in addition to that, there is now another $10 billion for testing of students in the schools. Perfect. More free money. I, I think as time goes on, 
it's much more likely you're going to see that number go back up from 95%, back up to 98, 99%. But the, the outfit, the individuals of the district that says we're not going to be open is always going to get, and I'm not being critical of any of you, it's always going to get front page. It's always going to be the top of the news. But let's put it in perspective. 95, as high as 98% of the schools no, in America not. are open, functioning, and capable of doing the job. Oh. So all, all of those things that, that we as taxpayers paid for during the first COVID or latest COVID relief, whatever, bill, None of it's been implemented. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to talk about what goes on, I'll just give you the perspective from, you know, my kids go to a charter school. It's not super fancy, but it's it's definitely a little bit, you know, higher standards than your typical public school. And uh, we're talking Lysol wipes and and, and overwhelming, overwhelming majority of the kids with masks under their chins. Yeah, but when you're talking about like ventilation systems and all these, yeah, you know, line. refurbs that they, they were going to do, never happened. Never no. anywhere. None of them. None of them. Not that I get. Not that I know of. I talk to people that go, you know, other parents whose kids go to public school, and then you oh know. no, they just they they cleaned the uh, the lint, yeah, screen on the. On <laughs> I mean, the AC it would be unit. great if they actually did these things because they could. It, I mean, a good ventilation system, you know, a sanitized air, all that would be great for our kids, so they won't keep getting sick during these you know, times when they're together in school in the winter months, but they, they essentially want you to think that they've done what currently yeah. exists on planes to every kid's classroom in the country. And it yeah. just never happened. Um, exactly. I saw one of those memes and it was like, uh, your, your home air filter the looking guy. at you while you yeah. put a mask, three mask on to three go outside. Yeah. And he just looks like he was in a fire. <laughs> yeah, that's a great okay. one. Now, one of the things they did ask him about that has really been heating up internationally is what's going on at the Russia-Ukraine border. Boring, and we could care less. It doesn't really affect American politics too much um, in regards to anything that's happening here in the country and, and what, you know, kind of affects the U.S. economy, maybe gas prices a little bit. Um, and also kind of when, when you paint a big picture of the history of it, there are a lot of people in the region who don't want to see any kind of military operation in Ukraine versus Russia. However, when Ukraine was part of the USSR, there are a lot of people who are no longer able to see family members or travel across the borders into each other's country because of when, you know, the Soviet Union fell apart and they did what essentially would be redistricting in Europe and creating their own country. So, so there is that too. Internal polling shows that people in Ukraine don't really see it as bad as the U.S. media is making it look. However, any kind of a military operation that would lead to an invasion of a country is obviously a horrible thing, but you know, don't just think it's like Russia's going to invade and destroy Ukraine. They obviously want some of the natural resources. there. definitely all of the bad money that goes through, you know, one of the most corrupt countries in the world as well. But uh, it, it's just one of those things where there's, there's family members essentially that have never seen each other. Uh, when you're talking about younger generations that live in Russia and Ukraine because of what happened when the Soviet union fell apart. So, but as it's starting to heat up now, you know, the U.S. response has been vague, to say the least. And, and Joe Biden gave an interesting, uh, you know, look into what a response from his administration would be. And it depends on just how much you slide in. Make a, if they invade, they're going to pay. They're not going, their banks will not be able to deal in dollars. They could care less. So there's a lot's going to happen. But here's the thing. My conversation with Putin, and we've been, um, how can we say it? We have no 
problem understanding one another. He has no problem understanding me, nor me, him. I have a hard time. Highly doubtful. In the direct conversations where I pointed out, I said, you know, you've uh, occupied before other countries, but the price has been extremely high. How long? You can go in and over time, at great loss and economic loss, go in and occupy Ukraine. But how many years? One, three, five, ten? What, what is that going to take? What toll does that take? It's real. It's consequential. So this is not all just a cakewalk for Russia. Militarily, they have overwhelming superiority in, on, on, as it relates to Ukraine. But they'll pay a stiff price immediately, near term, medium term, and long term if they do it. Now, he would go on to say in a Wait, follow- so <laughs> we're not going to, like, impose sanctions. We're not going to, like, you know, pee-pee slap them for doing this, but they just shouldn't because it's going to be hard. We don't need to understand it because apparently Vladimir Putin has no problem understanding Joe Biden, according to Joe Biden. I think 90% <laughs> of Americans have a very difficult time understanding Joe Biden, so throwing a love, language barrier. I'd love to be in a fly, a fly on the wall um, in the room Joe Biden and Putin. I'd like Putin. to be fluent in the language. Oh, I wonder how many... be able to just hear Putin just be like, what the fuck is this idiot saying? Yeah. Well, he speaks perfect English, and I can only imagine how many times he laughed right in his face. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, he, Joe Biden would go on in a follow-up question to, and we'll, we'll get into it in, in a later part of the show, uh, allude that invading is different than what the U.S. military would consider a minor incursion. So he basically gave the green light for Russia to just the tip it. And and yeah. also to do it for ten years or yeah. so. How basically. long? You know, how long you how, how long? long do you want to do this? How long? <laughs> so yeah, th- and that was a, a pretty eye opening statement that, that kind of lit up the newswire almost immediately after. We'll get to a live report. <laughs> how how long? Five years? Ten years? <laughs> I'm not even going to do it. I'm just, so. I'm just remembering comments on Twitter about this uh, press conference. And the, and I could not believe the comments that people were saying. They're like, wow, he just seems so, you know, full of energy. And he was really on point. And I'm like, oh, my. Well, I mean, God. that was as loose, <laughs> lucid as we've heard him in a while. Like, oh. both those clips back to back. Like, which clone Nobody. is this? He definitely slept for a couple days after this bad boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then they <laughs> juiced him up with whatever. <laughs> People are saying he was, he's so much better than Trump. Oh, what a breath of fresh air. And I'm like, oh, are these people real? Like, or like this, these must be. Bonds. So like, priceless. One of the next questions that, uh, that he fielded was on uh, House and Senate Republicans and their reluctance to work with him since being inaugurated. And after you saw uh, almost immediately the XL pipeline shut down, jobs canceled in the energy sector throughout the country, um, vaccine mandates instituted, the failure in Afghanistan, the opening of the border, et cetera, not even including COVID and and the lack of response that happened uh, from, from the white house. Um, he says he really didn't anticipate the inability for Republicans and, and unwillingness to want to work with him after all those amazing things that I just mentioned were going on and directly affecting the United States. In addition to the school closures, in addition to international theaters heating up like Russia and Ukraine, Taiwan and, and, and China. And then you have, uh, you know, of course, uh, good old COVID that, that's been running rampant. So let's kind of hear him say how he was puzzled by 
Republicans not really willing. Don't you don't understand that? Like, if we lose control of all these things, it's it's very very difficult to come back from it. I didn't even mention the crime surge that's affected the country as well. So (laughs) here we go. Crickets, yeah, crickets. They had no answer. Eat the crickets. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. Third person. Think about this. What are Republicans for? What are they for? Name me one thing they're for. Now, I don't know if he's talking about literally, America. like, what are yeah. they for for, or are they talking about, like, legislatively? I don't understand. That, that's exactly what I'm like, which, what, what do you mean here? <laughs> he probably means legislatively. Well, not only did he not know what Republicans are for, open-ended question, you could make your own, you know, uh, derive what you will from it. He also doesn't understand why people question his mental health, which I thought was the, probably the spiciest comment of is, the day. Is this the, is this the reporter with the question about it? Yeah, I believe this is the oh, Newsmax okay. one. So God bless this guy for getting in there and probably in the last time he'll ever be. Oh, yeah, he's done. Hey, listen, I guarantee on our way out, Emerald Robinson said, at some point, this motherfucker is going to hold a press conference. I have a question on here. Don't open it. Here it is. <laughs> and when the time is right, just read it. And he could tell like a shark, this guy's eyes rolled back when he started like reading the question off the card and he just went with it. You could see like, ah, fuck it, whatever. He literally started sweating while he was reading it. So (laughs) let's hear, let's hear. polite though too, like as going, like going into it. And And I'm sorry, but. uh... Yes. Thank you very much for this honor. James Rosen with Newsmax. (laughs) I'd like to, um, I'd like to raise a delicate subject, uh, but with utmost respect for your life accomplishments and the high office you hold. Life a accomplishments. Poll Real men. This morning. Real men. By Politico Morning Consult. Found 49% of registered voters disagreeing with the statement, Joe Biden is mentally fit. Ouch. <laughs> Not even a majority Damn. of Democrats but I'll do respect. responded. Uh, strongly affirmed that statement. Well, I'll let you all make the judgment whether they're correct. Well, Thank so you. the question I have for you, sir, if you'd let me finish is why do you suppose such large segments of the American electorate have come to harbor such profound concerns about your cognitive fitness? Thank you. I have no idea. Next. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I couldn't believe it when I... (laughs) That guy would make a perfect extra in any mafia movie ever. Because he just walked in. He's like fixing his mask. He's all nervous. And he's like, "Uh, James Rosen with Newsmax. Uh, With all due respect, (laughs) sir. With all due respect, Godfather. Yes. Everybody thinks you're fucking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Yeah, it was was pretty good. And and probably the most comical part of the, uh, you know, presser, if you want to call it that. But... um, I did not expect him to respond. No, and, and and he actually at that point he started to get a little bit testy when. But with, with all due respect, Mr. Dent, I had no idea you'd gotten experimental surgery to have your balls removed. <laughs> what did you What did you say? Um, what, did that, what was that? Oh, well, I said with all due respect. That, no, that doesn't mean you get to say whatever you want to say to me. Sure, you, sure as heck does. No, no, it doesn't it's mean in the that. The Geneva Convention. This, Look it up. So at this point of the uh, press conference right now is where Joe Biden started to get a little bit more testy. You know, they, they, they peppered him on no one in the Republican Party, even even the rhinos and, and the people that 
hated Donald Trump, not willing to work with him on things. Then on his mental health. Next, they jumped into that banger that he gave last week on the voter rights bill where he talked about if you don't jump on board and support this voting rights bill that they're trying to pass, which would federalize elections nationally, then you're a confederate. We've gone past racist and straight to ludicrous speed. And a reporter wanted to ask him to clarify a little bit on some of those statements he made. Let's hear what he said when he asked him about it. Campaigned and, and you ran on a return to civility. And I know that you dispute the characterization that you called folks who would oppose those voting bills um, as being Bull Connor or George Wallace. But you said that they would be sort of in the, the same camp. No, uh, I didn't say that. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said. Damn it. And tell me if you think I called anyone who voted on the side of the position taken by Bull Connor that they were Bull Connor. Huh? And that is an interesting reading of English. You, you, I assume you got into, into journalism because you like to write. So did you expect that that would work with Senators Manchin or, or Cinema? Um, no, here's the thing. There's certain things that are so consequential. You have to speak from your heart as well as your head. I was speaking out forcefully on what I think to be at stake. That's what it is. And by the way, no one, no one forgets who was on the side of King reverse on or Bull Khan. No one not done it. The history books will note it. When I was making the case, don't think this is a freebie. You don't get to vote this way and then somehow it goes away. This will be stick with you the rest of your career and long after you're gone. <laughs> Anybody want to try and break that one down? I'm, I'm at a oh, loss for words. Scissor me timbers. Thank you, Mr. Garrison. Bull, Bull Connor, did Bull, Bull, it's, what was the name he was saying? I couldn't tell he was screaming and hitting the podium. Bull? No. Uh, my favorite part of that whole reply was, let me guess, you got into journalism because you like to write. <laughs> it's like, nice observation, Mr. Um, President. Right. No, I like to cook. Yeah, I don't even know how to break that down. I just, uh, uh, yeah, it speaks for itself. I, just, it, I, think there, I think there should be a reality show where it's just all of Biden's handlers and you just get to watch like yes. like Blair Witch Project <laughs> camera angles, like where they're like like walking around and like, freaking out like yeah, what is nervous. he doing like, what i'm so scared right now all it would take is a camera crew to follow him around for just one day oh, just one day and hey, we'd be immediately we invaded. could end world hunger pay-per-view no. no for real it'd be one of the only things that uh a lot of people would tune into i'm, I'm sure so well no. an interesting question that i thought uh you know joe biden was asked with was uh about overpromising. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about this before, if that's even like really a word. And, uh, you know, the press was kind of interested in, in, in saying because of all the things that were going on. And uh, I, I, I really don't know if you could consider there wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on when he took office, you know, besides the scamdemic. And uh, Joe Biden kind of like fed right into that question, like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it was a little bit overpromising. You know, I campaigned from my basement. I had, you know, so many people at my rallies in, in mannequins and Jeeps and people in hula hoops. And, you know, <laughs> maybe it was a little bit of an overpromise. Let's kind of hear him weigh in on uh, not being able to get pretty much anything done. In this country are still ahead of us, not behind us. Now, I'm happy to take questions. 
Yes. Thank you, Mr. President. I know some of my colleagues will get into some specific issues, but I wanted to zoom out on your first year in office. Inflation is up. Uh, your signature domestic legislation is stalled in Congress. In a few hours from now, the Senate, uh, an effort in the Senate to deal with voting rights and voting, uh, voting reform legislation is going to fail. COVID-19 is still taking the lives of 1,500 Americans every day. And the nation's divisions are just as raw as they were a year ago. Did you overpromise to the American public what you could achieve in your first year in office? And how do you plan to course correct going forward? Why are you such an optimist? <laughs> Look, I didn't overpromise. And but I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where uh, we have made. An well, cl mm. claims of not overpromising. What do you guys hmm. think? Wrong. Yeah. Wait a minute. He hasn't been a great uniter. How about new? There you go. I, I, I hope we can hit the retarded one, but it's going to be after our last clip from... I feel retarded after most of this. The Bryden Presser. Now, we do have to talk about the man, Donald Trump, and how he still lives rent-free in Joe Biden's head. Um, probably still feeling a little bit of a sting from the rally and uh, some of the things that he hit the administration on. I thought it was pretty embarrassing by the press, where I think he fielded maybe between 19 and 22 questions only one reporter asked about, you know, anything in comparison to the last administration and now, because the go-to for the Biden regime since day one is to blame everything either on COVID, Donald Trump, or both. And those are the only reason why his agenda doesn't get accomplished. Nothing gets done in the country's worse off where it was, you know, just a calendar year ago. Um, in this last clip from the presser, after he was asked about President Trump, he gave kind of an interesting answer. Let's hear it. Do you ever think that one man out of office could intimidate an entire party where they're unwilling to take any vote contrary to what he thinks should be taken for fear of being defeated in a primary? Yes. I've had five Republican senators talk to me, bump into me, quote unquote, or sit with me. Is he wandering he around somewhere and booked into him? Whatever I'm talking about, I'm going to do. But Joe, if I do it, I'm going to defeat it in a primary. Boo-hoo. we got to break that. It's got to change. Well, there you have it. Donald Trump still has a firm grasp, not only on the pulse of the nation, but over the uh, entirety of his party, it seems like, to where, you know, senators as many as five, Joe Biden claims that he'd bumped into, you think it's more of like a, I'm Jill's husband. <laughs> I'm, I'm Jill Byron. Yeah. Doesn't want to, you know, work with him or vote bipartisanly on some of these radical leftist progressive items only because Papa would go out and call for a, a primary challenger a la Nancy Mason, Lynn Spiper Loomis, who will be joining us a little bit later in the show. We're about to bring in current Pennsylvania senator, however, and newly introduced gubernatorial candidate from the great state of Pennsylvania, Senator Doug Mastriano, as he's jumping in right now to join us on this America First edition of the State for Breakfast podcast. He's currently a Pennsylvania state senator and a veteran. He's thrown his uh, name in the hat to run for governor of Pennsylvania. True patriot. Doug Mastriano, thanks for joining us today, Senator, on State for Breakfast. 
Thanks for having me on, guys. I look forward to it. Oh, yeah, this is a really big honor to be hosting you today, and uh, we're, we're glad to have you. Uh, I want to jump right into it, sir. So there's been massive changes in the last couple of weeks for you, uh, switching up roles, going from, you know, the state Senate in, in Pennsylvania and throwing your name for the governorship. It's one of the things that uh, I don't think a lot of people who follow politics might necess- not necessarily understand, like, the uh, equation that goes into that. It's great to have amazing house representatives we get we've got some of those and a ton more running and, and senators in states but then when you get into the uh the gist of it you know you probably saw it most during covid how hard these governors could make it to get the uh, america first agenda across so what was the motivational factor for you to uh finally come into this uh, arena and throw your hat in the ring for the governor yeah and uh, it's going to sound passe but it's a fact the cries of the people the past uh, two years during the shutdown as you can imagine um Every politician was laying in her foxhole, not doing squat. Very few people were stepping out. Uh, I was told not to take on my governor, who was extremely popular two years ago, at 65% favorable. Governor Tom Wolf never was a governor more appropriately named. And he came in uh, like the wolf and shut us down, deemed people essential, non essential, sent the elderly, the sick elderly back into homes, worse in New York. A week before Cuomo did that, killing about 16,000 of our loved ones there. No accountability. Uh, reckless policies, uh, uh, inconsistencies and hypocrisy. You know, we'd have our reopen rallies on the steps of the Capitol and we'd be condemned, you know, as cowards and all the same stuff at the national level. Reckless, super spreader, you know, very irresponsible. Then the governor would literally show up the next day at a BLM rally with thousands of people and it's okay, free pass. And then uh, the media started to catch in the national media, not just Pennsylvania. I caught their eye for some reason. (laughs) And they, they figured uh, I was the, the worst. Uh, if, if I ran for governor, they'd have the worst time beating me. Their, their candidate, they have a guy lined up who's just like Wolf, a, a mini Wolf. And they uh, they admitted actually in an article a couple months ago that they made me target number one of 21 Republicans nationwide to, to try to uh, defame and hit so hard that, that I'd resign in shame. And I'm, I'm like, seriously, retired Army colonel, you know, fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, <laughs> served on the Iron Curtain, kind of an older guy. And uh, they think by destroying my name and reputation, I'm going to turn my tail and run. Hell no. I, I did this job because uh, as I retired from the Army a couple years ago, my heart was broken that after uh, 30 years of service that I was handing over the country, pretty bad shape to my son's generation. And uh, I did not want to run for office. I never wanted to, I wanted to be a soldier. That's what I did until I was too old to do it anymore. And uh, and so I ran for office, and I'm, I'm glad I was able to serve as senator. But the, the nexus of this, though, there's a big difference, as you said, between a senator's powers and a governor's powers. Mm-hmm. And the front line of freedom today is in the governor's chairs. Because I look at California, I look at Pennsylvania, I look at Florida, and look at a difference a good man can make. Oh, yeah, that's a understatement to say the least. We yeah. have a pretty tyrannical governor who uh, likes to give Governor Wolf a run for his money every time they try to implement some new kind of uh, mandate or, or lockdown or awful policy that's not related to COVID, you know, the crime and, and stuff like that. Plus, you talk about taxes and, and the economy. It's just you could see it. It's a difference between night and day, someone who's willing to work for the people and, and the others are willing to work, you know, for themselves and their own special interests. So it's great to hear that you, uh, you know, jumped into the to the ring now. And, uh, you know, it, it, we've been tracking you the last couple of weeks. So you, you shared a poll the other day that, that had some pretty promising numbers. I, I definitely want to talk about that. Uh, you know, we don't have to necessarily get into your to your primary challengers or, or the governor's race, but the, the poll looked defi- definitely promising. You want to weigh in on that a little bit? 
Yeah, this is two, two polls I want to hit on, if that's okay. The first sure. one is a traditional poll from the Democrat Legislative Campaign Committee. So our, our competitors, our rivals, our enemies. And so they did a poll in November of uh, the Republican field to see who their guy's going to face, potentially. And that was actually the uh, eye-opening mo uh, moment for them, that they hit me so hard from the Inquirer, from the New York Times. I think the LA Times did a hit piece. So just, just, just crap, hyperbole, and just awful stuff. And they said, uh, Mastriana is not only leading the pack for, for gubernatorial candidates before I was even in the race, but we made it. Well, here's what they said. Not only did we try to take him down, his, his negatives, despite our attempts, are single digits. And we all we did is make him more popular. We, we rethink our approach to attacking Republicans. And I think the lesson learned is this is not 2018. We watched what they did to 45. Right. And uh, we're not suckers anymore. Uh, on the, the second poll was a data sweep. And this was, uh, came out last night. Uh, data sweep of uh, a Google uh, uh, data points, and uh, it gives you a measure of enthusiasm. So I, I announced about two weeks ago running yes. for governor. In the past seven days, I've had 80% of gubernatorial activity online compared to the Democrat 20%. Um, several, and, and for the Republican field, uh, I'm at, I think, 70% with three Republicans, each at 8%, and each of those Republicans are spending money on advertising. And so I'm not spending a cent, and the momentum's with us, because here's the deal. We're sick and tired of people coming out election uh, cycle. I will fight for you. I will do this. I promise I will. And I'm like, where the hell have you been? Right. We've needed help the past two years. Uh, me and only a handful of others in Pennsylvania stuck our neck out while most of these guys who were hiding in their foxholes did nothing. And now when the fighting is basically over, they're crawling out of the foxholes, making these empty promises. So that's why the people are with us here, because they, they see somebody who's battle tested and who's going to do something about their freedoms. And, uh, you know, with God's grace, we'll make Pennsylvania the Florida of the middle states and New England. I like the sound of that. I like right that there. a lot, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I heard you mention 45, so I'm, I mean, I definitely have to touch on it. I'm sure one of your campaign pillars moving forward will be definitely some kind of election reform there after some of the stuff we, we saw happen during the 2020 presidential election. What are some of the things you're looking at to change in regards to uh, making elections great again when you uh, get into the governor's office? <laughs> Yeah, obviously, we need rapid action in Pennsylvania, just not more talk. So uh, the beginning of all, of all these audits and, and, and hopes that we had actually started with my Gettysburg hearing in 2020, November yeah. 25th, the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, the election happened. I had um, the General Assembly leadership in Pennsylvania, which Republican came out uh, the Friday after the election. Nope, not aware of any fraud. Meanwhile, <laughs> Senator Mastriano is hearing from people from across the state. No, there's problems. And here's what happened. And they're saying, do something, Doug, do something. And so I'm beside myself. What does a junior senator do in the midst of a controversial presidential election? And so I held a hearing and it blew the lid off of things. Of course, uh, it's still painted by the left, you know, as baseless claims to overturn the election, you know, just, just crap. So I pulled out my uh, finding sheet uh, last month. So about a year on. And that what was any of this baseless or disproven, you know, the media and the lefties, they haven't disproven one of my findings on that sheet yet. And I, that's why I challenge them at Gettysburg. Do your jobs. Prove us wrong. Prove these witnesses wrong. But if there are problems, let's open up the books and get our elections correct. So and there needs to be several things. Uh, our election law was altered by the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. They rewrote the law. They changed the law. And that was the constitutional challenge that we had uh, by Texas. The Texas case, yep. remember that a year and a half ago? Oh, yeah. 
we need that case heard by the Supreme Court. If they won't do that, we need to have overhaul. The governor can do. The governor actually in Pennsylvania owns the secretary of state, appoints the secretary of state. So I could force uh, the cleaning of the books. I, I could decertify any or all machines that I want. I mean, th this this is quite a thing that a bold governor can come in and clean things up here and shake it up quite a bit. Uh, I'll require accountability. I'll require inspection of the books, inspections of the addresses, making people actually live in these homes and not 20 families living in this, this house that doesn't exist in Philadelphia. Uh, right before the election, Governor Wolf's administration was ordered to take off 22,000 dead from the books. Did they do that? No. And we know for sure 8,000 of those dead voted. This kind of crap needs to end. And, uh, you know, in the end, uh, I, I don't know what the left is afraid of. You know, voter ID is, is, is so essential. I saw better elections in Afghanistan than in Pennsylvania. <laughs> if it's racist to show an ID card, then I'm going to go on an airplane without an ID. I'll buy, I'll buy cough medicine without an ID. I mean, come on, really? So uh, I have legislation in place uh, with Senator Judy Ward to uh, constitutional amendment to require an ID constitutional amendment to, to uh, roll back the changes that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court made to our election law, which would be rolling back uh, all the, the uh, no excuse mail and voting that happened uh, with the changes they created on 17 September of, of, of two years ago and uh, several other initiatives I have in mind as well. Yeah, that's great to hear. And uh, definitely something that needs to be looked at. I mean, that uh, that Ken Paxson lawsuit that, that never got heard is, is definitely something we'd love to see, you know, moving forward, uh, get to the Supreme Court. And if they're going to not go out and do their jobs, then like you said, there's legislation you could do at the state level from the governor's office that's going to, you know, help change that and, and, and fix a lot of the issues we had in the 2020 presidential election. So, you know, we, we introduced you as a veteran. You've talked about it several times. National defense is probably something that's really important to you and to the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, we saw all the stuff that, that happened in Afghanistan right now. And, uh, you know, what's going on with the military? There's a lot of, you know, critical race theory and, and all these uh, vets getting kicked out of the military for the vaccine mandate. Although we did see this morning a federal judge in Texas put an injunction in right now to uh, halt all of the uh, administrative anything going on with the federal mandate. So hopefully that's the first step in getting rid of those. What, what are some of the things that you're going to do to, to uh, you know, help the, the military, the National Guard, stuff like that in the state of Pennsylvania when you get in office? Yeah, and uh, I'm heartened by what we saw out of Oklahoma, yeah. you know, with the governor and the uh, adjutant general, the senior guard commander in Oklahoma saying, no, we're not going to force a jab on these, uh, you know, young men and women because yep. the science is not behind it. You know, as the, the commander in chief of the Pennsylvania National Guard, I, I will strip away uh, this mandate for this for this jab. I'm, I'm hard pressed to call it a vaccine. I know I get in trouble with the media <laughs> on this here, but hear me out. These lunatics on the left, you want to, you know, Doug, but well, what about the polio, polio vaccine and all these vaccines you took when you're in the army? Yeah, I, I have pin cushion. I got it. Difference is that's apples and oranges. Uh, so we're, we're taking an experimental release of a jab. We have no understanding of, of the ramifications, long-term effects beyond the year. We just don't know. Polio vaccine was 25 years in the making. And most of these vaccinations have at least a decade of experimentation and observation and remixing of the mixtures because they have bad, sometimes it doesn't work out so well as, as we see with the jab. And so th that's apples and oranges. And, and to force a mandate of a jab for something that most age groups, you have a 98, 99% recovery rate on, I think you're okay because the side effects on young men and women 
whether it's myocarditis or blood clots, is more severe than actually protecting them generally from the vaccine. And so first thing is to protect their medical freedom. And uh, Pennsylvania, obviously, founded by William Penn, a Quaker who spent time in jail for his Christian faith, founded our state on the, on the idea of people coming here and living life as they saw fit, not as a governor or king saw fit, that I'll restore medical freedom to Pennsylvania. Uh, on the other side here, uh, there will be no separations for people's uh, right to choose. And I understand I will lose federal funding uh, in that regard for my guard and my air guard and ground forces. It's, it's not a problem. I could use my people in my own state, in fact, and that's what they're designed for, actually. Nice. So, yeah, that sounds good to us and probably sounds great to a lot of those servicemen and women who are currently uh, living in Pennsylvania. Uh, next thing I wanted to touch on was, and I probably think it's prob- one of the most important issues for everyone that lives in the state. You saw during the 2020 presidential election campaign season, uh, Joe Biden go to Pennsylvania several times and literally tell blue collared men and workers, you know, nuclear family uh, members that I'm going to come in here. I'm going to shut down your jobs. I'm going to teach you how to do other things and uh, I'm going to make it happen. That that includes a lot of the stuff going on in, in, in the energy sector as well. And he. You know, if there's any promises that he had kept, that was definitely one of the ones that he's done. How are you going to help uh, kind of push back on that when you get into the governor's office and, uh, you know, get get some of those jobs in, in, in that really affect the blue collar workers, the the energy sector back to, uh, you know, doing the things that they need to do to take care of their families again? Uh, Pennsylvania is sitting on a gold mine. I mean, you know, we have a city out west uh, from the 1800s called Oil City. I wonder what they discovered there. You know, <laughs> Quaker oil and lube, you know, Quaker. <laughs> so. Um, we have energy reserves in the ground here in a Marshallis shale and others that, that could actually, um, provide energy for the nation for a couple hundred years. If it was, if it was you know, exploited, I, I probably, probably use a better word. If it was uh, utilized as God gave us, uh, I will unleash the potential of energy in Pennsylvania. We'll become a leading producer of energy. Uh, we already are, but in a way we're not because, Okay. Every year, Governor Wolf has taxed our energy. So although we're an energy producer, liquefied natural, uh, liquefied natural gas is premier, number two in the nation, uh, we get no benefit because Governor Wolf and his Democrat policies, always every year they find a new tax. They give it a different name and another tax. So I, I got rid of my uh, propane tank. It was There was no value of having it. I was paying more for that than, than for you know electric. Yeah. And so I want to roll back the restrictions. I want to open up the lands. I want to produce energy and be the, the, the force in the nation to provide energy uh, to New England. If you remember in 2016, the madness of Democrat policies just north of me here, uh, they had problems with pipelines and what have you because environmental issues, et cetera. And so uh, in 2016, we had a really nasty winter. And in Boston, Massachusetts, they're running out of energy. The, the, the houses were going to start freezing over. And they brought in ships from Russia. Just, just down the road in Pennsylvania, we could have given them what they needed. Uh, so that kind of madness needs to end. So I envision opening up Pennsylvania as, as a, a lead in a nation where the people can come here and enjoy the benefits of being an energy producer like in Texas or Alaska and not find yourself constantly taxed. And that will be a draw for uh, young men and women in, in our colleges to stay and, okay. and have an opportunity to grow their families. It'll be an opportunity for businesses to come here and to benefit from the, the fruits of our labor here. And on top of all this, you're just opening up a gateway to New England to buy energy from us and not Mother Russia. Yeah, definitely. Uh making making us uh, energy dependent again on ourselves is, is something that we'd love to see happen uh, moving forward and, and, and starting to happen again after the midterm elections. Uh, Senator, you know, if I could add to that, so when I was in the Army, I spent quite a bit of time in the Baltic nations, you know, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, you know, okay. just, just north of Poland. 
And uh, Lithuania is a partner state of the Pennsylvania National Guard. And I was with the former Minister of Defense, Raza Jukovinitsa. I say her name wrong. Apologies, Lithuanians. But she told me, you know, we've we've enjoyed our 20 some year relationship with the Pennsylvania National Guard. And our troops are always in Harrisburg training and your troops are always in Lithuania training with us. And uh, uh, we we're trying to get off of Russian oil and gas. And we have this ship we built off in the Baltic called the Independence. I love that name. Oh, nice it's off of Klepida, their port. And they said we'd love to buy LNG, liquefied natural gas from Pennsylvania, our close ally. We, yes, we can get cheap, cheaper from Norway, but we want Pennsylvania. Can you do it? And I'm like, as governor, I will do it. And so we'll win. We'll help our allies get off of Russia, Russian oil and gas. We'll help uh, reduce the wealth of Putin's 70-some billion dollar annual income on oil and gas at the same time strengthen our alliance as well. This, this is nothing but a win. I don't know why Democrats can't see how easy this is. Yeah, it's it it seems like a slam dunk, but it's they just, don't want to. Yeah, well, not only that, but <laughs> it's true. Th- those special interest groups and and lobbying nations definitely line their pockets. I'm sure. Bigly, oh yeah, uh, w- with all the legislation that they ask them to uh, vote for or not. Well, the kickbacks for those Russian ships delivering uh, natural gas and energy. Yeah, I'm sure they're very good. Senator, now I grew up in the tri-state area. I'm I'm originally from New Jersey. I, I spent a lot of time uh, growing up in in places like New York City, and definitely. Pennsylvania, Philadelphia specifically, uh, you know, as a child, we went on a lot of field trips there. There's museums. There's so much, you know, natural history that's important to the United States. We've seen a crime reform, not the right way, but as governor, you're going to have a lot of power to kind of, uh, you know, go out and really look into some of these things that are that have been hurting places like Philadelphia and just making it not what it was 20, 30 years ago anymore. Almost recognizable when you talk about places like Philly, New York City, D.C., Los Angeles, etc. I'm sure that's got to be one of the things that's really important to you, you know, making one of the birthplaces of our uh, country great again and, and probably means a lot to Pennsylvanians. What do you think uh, as far as getting down to the, you know, nitty gritty here and really getting some crime reform in here to help make our streets a lot safer? Yeah, I mean, it's really heartbreaking if you think about it. Philadelphia and Pennsylvania is the seat of a nation, mm-hmm. and it's where in 1776 the light of the nation was lit, the light of freedom. And then, of course, in my own district here in Gettysburg, a new birth of freedom in 1863. And then, of course, we we're touched by 9-11 with Flight 93, you know, crashing in the field in Somerset County west of me here. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, uh, Pennsylvania really encapsulates the, the American experience. Um and that Philadelphia now, you know, is suffering from a crime wave of murder and, uh, you know, even elected officials like one congresswoman, you know, being uh, carjacked, what have you. That's just indicative. <laughs> the, the irony of, uh, you know, defund the police individual as well at that. And I don't make light of that. I don't wish it on anybody here. But obviously, we know what happens when there's no law and order. Here's the problem. Uh, Philadelphia has uh, their district attorney is, is uh, Mr. Krasner. And yep. He, Four years of a failed policy, 500 and some murders last year and the year before about 500 as well. So pushing a thousand. Um, and he just won reelection. So the, mm-hmm. the people here's the problem. The people of Philadelphia, 70 percent of the vote reelected him for his failed policies that have unleashed a cor- crime wave in the city where he doesn't prosecute many crimes. Uh, there's there's a revolving door for many of these people coming out and repeating. So we, we do have an issue here. Because uh, 30% of the people there aren't satisfied with with his policies. So what do you do in the midst of of an environment in in a republic where somebody is elected for failed policies? Overwhelmingly. I mean, it just astounds astounds reason. You know, at at some point, uh, there's going to have to be action. But at what point does that that take? As a senator, 
there's really nothing we can do because if we step into that and, and demand an impeachment, then we have to recuse ourselves from the impeachment because the impeachment happens in the House and we uh, sit as jury, right? right? Exactly. But as governor, that's a whole different thing here. Uh, you know, there, there's been points in our history, I remember, where National Guard had to be deployed to some of our cities because of so, uh, so much crime being unleashed. But we do need the cooperation of the mayor and the district attorneys to make this happen effectively. We saw Rudy Giuliani turn New York City around in the 70s, right, oh, in yeah. the 80s. Yeah. And, but, and, that, that's because he had the support of a good Republican governor and he had a good attorney general as well. And uh, right now we don't have that A-team in place in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I do want to talk about real quick. Last question for you before we cut. Yeah. Uh, someone who did throw his name in, 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 the, in the ring recently and kind of change it up. Uh, Teddy Daniels uh, announced that he was going to step down from his campaign for a House seat and uh, announced that he'd be running for lieutenant governor of the state of Pennsylvania. Now, one of the things you definitely want to have going in, both figuratively and literally, is a little bit of muscle. And we've had Teddy on the show before. He brings a little bit of both to the table. So how do you feel about him getting in there for lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania? And do you think uh, it'd be an awesome opportunity to work with him moving forward? It would absolutely be superb. You think about Teddy Daniels here, and uh, he won't say this, but, you know, remember, uh, I'm a retired army colonel here, so I think I can make a judgment on him. So we had 9-11 happens. Yeah. Eddie Daniels is, is in his 30s in, as a police officer. He's yep. got a career lined up. And, the, and that's much older than most people join the army, right? 30, 30 some years old. He quits his job. He joins the army. He goes infantry. So he knows he's going to war. He gets assigned to the 4th Infantry Division. And then, of course, he knows he's going to Iraq or Afghanistan. It just depends. And he ends up in Afghanistan, one of the most dangerous parts of the world, in Kunar province uh, near the Pakistani border. Uh, terrible terrain, rough ridges, steep mountains. And uh, his, his unit, not because of him, because of uh, someone else's decision was led into an ambush. And uh, he charged into the line of fire. He drew fire so his men could escape. He took four hits, was shot four times, Purple Heart recipient. And uh, this is something that he's a patriot. He didn't have to do this. So in my my book, he's a uh, he's a real American hero. There's very few people willing to do that. And so uh, to have somebody of that caliber of selflessness uh, to be as lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, that, that would be the A-team in Pennsylvania. Yeah, sounds like it. That sure would. It's definitely something that uh, we'd love to see, and we're going to continue to support you guys and get the word out there moving forward. Senator, we'd, lo- we'd love to uh, you know, have you back between sometime between now and, and, the, and the midterm election. It's been great sitting down with you finally, and uh, we know that you're busy. You, you're definitely one of those people working with your schedulers who has uh, always got something going on serving you know, your constituents, and uh, it's much appreciated that you took some time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us today. We'd also love to redirect traffic. Uh, Towards your campaign, your websites, your social medias, anywhere we'll get people, you know, knocking on doors, sharing your social medias, and, and most importantly, donating to your campaign. We we stress on this show a lot after talking to so many of the America First candidates, both as senators, House reps, and governors, that uh, sending money to D.C. and to Ronald McDaniel isn't really the way to go anymore. Find the candidates that, number one, identify with you most, that you can vet that are going to work for you, and then go and support them in any way you seem fit. So we, we, we stress our listenership to do that and uh, definitely want to do that for you. So why don't you give us your socials and uh, congressional, or I'm sorry, gubernatorial website. Nice. Thank you. Thanks for, And thanks for mentioning that, because as you can imagine, uh, a, a lot of big dollars don't go behind people like me or Teddy Daniels, because... <laughs> Uh, you know, sometimes that money is used to buy influence. And if you have somebody who's a patriot that's going to try, you know, try to work for the people and do the right thing, uh, we rely upon the people to donate. So my website is dougforgov.com. So D-O-U-G, the number four, gov, G-O-V, dougforgov.com. And uh, social media, we, we dominate it. You know, Senator Doug Mastriano, 200,000 followers. Doug Mastriano fighting for freedoms, my campaign page, 100,000 followers. And Twitter, the same thing. So uh, 
find us out there, follow us. Please consider kicking in a little bit. Um, we've had about 11 or 12,000 unique donors to my campaign. Um, and a lot of small dollar amounts, but it sure does go a long way. And nice. I sure do appreciate your support, especially your prayers. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be sending all of those your way. This is the uh, Pennsylvania State Senator who's now running for the governorship of the Keystone State, Mr. Doug Mastriano. Senator, thanks for joining us today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. God bless you guys. Well, what would you guys think about uh, Senator Mastriano and his uh, quest to take the governorship of Pennsylvania? I like that guy. Uh, yeah, me too. He's great. Great personality. Said the right things, and I believe him, and uh, I think he's going to do really well. Yeah, it was uh, definitely, definitely great to have him on the show, and uh, we're going to continue to track him and then, uh, you know, support him in his campaign moving forward. He was someone who was a strong supporter of President Trump, and uh, when it comes to national defense, the economy, especially middle-class jobs in Pennsylvania and things of that nature, he's going to be a uh, staunch advocate of Trump-era policies moving forward. So well, those are the people you need to be in these positions making decisions, people that have been on the ground doing the actual jobs. Yep. Exactly. Like you said, he's done a couple tours abroad yeah. via the military, and uh, we thank him for his service, and uh, we can't wait to get him back on the show, talk to him a little bit more. So I don't know if you guys had saw, but the uh, voter rights bill is finally dead. Got him. Got him <laughs> big time. I'm going to circle back to some original comments that we had in our uh, first segment with Joe Biden, um, just to refresh the listening audience, uh, referring to Senator Cinema and Manchin when he was asked at his presser. And you ran on a return to civility. And I know that you dispute the characterization that you called folks who would oppose those voting bills um, as being Bull Connor or George Wallace. But you said that they would be sort of in the, the same camp. No, uh, I didn't say that. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said. And tell me if you think I called anyone who voted on the side of position taken by Bull Connor that they were Bull Connor. And that is an interesting reading of English. You, you, I assume you got into, into journalism because you like to write. I just wanted to hear that you got into journalism because you like to write again. Awesome observation from uh, the person currently occupying the fake Oval Office. Um, you know, and, and you know, that reporter was basically getting to the to the narrative that if Senator Sinema and Manchin didn't side with Democrats and vote for this bill, would they in fact be racist as well? To which the president alluded, people can make their own you know, observations and, and draw their own conclusions to whether or not that's what he meant when he was talking about him. Um, he also did challenge the reporter's intelligence there in that clip as well, which I also thought was funny coming from someone whose intelligence was immediately challenged in the next question from the press. Oop. Got him. Uh, we did see some of the... Uh, scariest parts of the Biden regime out in full force during the uh, pandering to get the voter bill passed, uh, namely crazy Bernie. We haven't heard from him for a while. And, uh, you know, President Trump always makes the, uh, he always alludes to the fact that he thinks Bernie Sanders is one of the people that's really running the government right now. In addition to all the people that we always say uh, have their hands in it, the Susan Rice's, Eric Holder's, John Kerry's, the, former federal chiefs of our law enforcement organizations, Brennan's, the Clappers, and the Comeys. But here's Bernie on the floor acting just as crazy as ever, um, talking about this voter rights bill. I regard it as a very sad day 
for our country, and I mean this very sincerely, that not one Republican in this body is prepared to vote for this bill. Now, I understand why that is the case. I am in politics. I got it. I know who the leader of their party is. But this I do not understand. I can understand Republicans, but this I do not understand. What don't you I do understand? not understand why two Democrats who presumably understand the importance of the Freedom to Vote Act, presumably, and as I understand it, will vote for the Freedom to Vote Act, are not prepared to change the rules so that that bill could actually become law. You know, no one would like to see the federalization of elections more than uh, crazy Bernie now. What he doesn't understand. I'm just waiting for him to say, marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> Did you get all of that, though? He didn't understand. While they don't understand. Why they don't understand? Why they don't understand that they understand how important that bill is. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody in our listening audience could hear it, but I... I watched the clip several times. He's got something going on there. He had like a Werther's original moving around in his mouth, and he's like, <laughs> the whole time he's trying to talk. It's I don't probably know. a cough drop. Oh boy! So it wasn't what weren't wasn't good to see crazy Bernie, but at the same time, it was. Uh, I'm once again asking for your support and your financial contributions. <laughs> so I can buy a fifth mansion. I am once again asking if you understand. What I understand, that they understand, that I don't understand, why they understand it. And if they understand, that's enough of that shit. Okay, so one of the things we didn't take from the Biden presser, but ties directly into this, uh, was the question that was asked surrounding voter integrity. Now, just remember, if you questioned anything about the most safest and secure election in the history of the galaxy. Even if you understand it? Which was the 2020 presidential election. Regardless of all the evidence of blatant fraud and coordination, in addition to multiple violations on the state and federal levels of constitutions nationwide, then you are, in fact, a white supremacist, nationalist, terrorist, who commits acts of treason and are worse than... A billion 9-11s and a fulfillion Pearl Harbors. To be honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. <laughs> Joe Biden was asked during his presser, which ties right into the voter rights bill segment, what he would think about the 2022 election moving forward. Your answer, after all that resume I gave you, might surprise you. I just wanted to clarify, a moment ago, you were asked whether or not you believed that we would have free and fair elections in 2022 if some of these state legislatures reformed their voting protocols. You said that it depends. Uh, do you not the diapers? Do you think that they would in any way be illegitimate? Oh yeah, I think it easy to be be illegitimate. What? Imagine, what? imagine if in fact Trump has succeeded in convincing Pence to not count the votes. Imagine if. In, in regards to 2022, sir, the midterms. Oh, 2022. I mean, uh, imagine if those uh, attempts to say that uh, the count was not legit. You have to recount it, and we're not going to count. We're going to discard the following votes. Wait, we're going mean, to sure, it now? 
it, it, I'm not saying it's going to be legit. It's the increase what? in the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to us not being able to get these these reforms passed. Huh? But I don't think you're going to see, you're not going to see me, and I don't think you're going to see the Democratic Party give up on can go, coming back at assuming that the attempt fails today. And then one more, sir. Um, so what? Yeah. The did, fuck? Noah, you seem to be our election <laughs> integrity expert on this show. Why don't you break down a little bit what the, what the current fake Oval Office occupier just said there? Uh, <laughs> He says, well, initially he's going to talk about the wrong election. Right. And then he's going to talk about the right election, but try to give the same answer regarding. And then say that it might be illegitimate, but we're not going to. Yeah, I don't know. Answer that anything? Uh, No, I don't even know. Where to begin? No, I don't even know where to begin. Well, don't worry. Once again. Blair Witch Project cameras on the handlers, just watching him run around in the back. What the fuck is he doing? Ah! There has to be some Secret Service agents that listen to this show. Um, yeah, somebody's recording. There, somebody has to be recording just for themselves, at least. I will buy you a bow tie camera. Well, speaking of handlers, immediately following the presser and before the vote on the bill happened on the House and Senate floors, Prime handler Jen Psaki got out and tried to get ahead of this narrative that Joe Biden didn't mean what he said about the future elections being illegitimate. Let's hear her take on it and see if it makes any more sense than what we tried to put together. Yeah, if I can follow up on the questions about um, uh, about voting rights and mm-hmm. the integrity of the election, you said the president's intention was not to cast doubt on the upcoming midterms. But when a reporter followed up. The president said to him, I'm not saying it's going to be legit. The increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to us not being able to get these reforms passed. So yes or no, does the president believe, if all remains as it is right now, that the elections this fall will be legitimate? His, but yes, but, but, what but, he, but, is, but the point he was making is that as recently as 2020, as we know, the former president was trying to uh, work with local officials to overturn the vote count and not have ballots counted. And we have to be very eyes wide open about that and clear eyed that that is the intention potentially of him and certainly of of members of his party. So to be clear, the president is satisfied, even if, because yesterday obviously voting rights hit a wall in Congress right now without without the votes for the filibuster rules to be changed. given the conversation you just had about other avenues that could be taken. If there is, if there are no changes in terms of voting rights legislation going forward, the president does still feel confident that the elections this fall will be legitimate. Yes. Hmm. Okay. It's a stark comparison to what Joe Byron said. Like she just all, the she before. just needs to just be like, look, you can't listen to half the shit the guy says. He's like, just ignore him. Let me talk. Yeah. Just listen to me. Hear what I'm saying. Watch this mouth. Yeah. Eyes wide open. I wish we had the song for it. We're just going to be uh, clear, clear-eyed about this. Is that from all the weed that she probably smokes? Oh, no. Clear eyes. You're thinking of eye drops. Oh, there you go. Yeah, but don't you need the clear eyes for the red eyes? Mm. I don't know. And then uh, right before the vote on the Senate floor, we did have some of our stronger senators get out there and try to get ahead of this. It's one of those things where I'm going to play a little montage right now. We're going to hear it back to back to back. Senator Cruz, Senator Brasso, and then a fiery uh, reply from 
House Representative Jim Jordan. Let's get into this right now, and then uh, obviously you heard the reporter spoil it in the last segment, but uh, you know know that the voting bill will eventually fail by a 52 to 48 margin. I will commend the Democratic senators for party discipline. We even saw last week 44 Democrats willing to filibuster to prevent sanctions on Russia while Russia is preparing to invade Ukraine. Never mind the irony that this is simultaneously while Democrats are giving speeches calling the filibuster a Jim Crow relic while they're filibustering, which is a a level of gymnastic uh, flexibility remarkable even for the United States Senate to be doing it simultaneously. Imagine that. I, I will. And it's one of those things where we've talked about it on the show before. I don't remember which one of our guests brought it up, but they were saying uh, a really good example of how full of shit all of these politicians in the Beltway are was during the Kavanaugh hearings where you had people literally saying that if, if Brett Kavanaugh was, you know, uh, passed on to the Supreme Court and he was approved to sit on the bench, that it would literally lead to mass riots and murders and cities burning down deaths of babies everywhere. And at the same time they were negotiating some, you know, budgetary items behind the scenes. And it just shows to the level of bullshit that they'll all take. Here's a uh, Senator John Brasso right now weighing in on the uh, voter bill. So today our friends don't trust us. Our enemies don't fear us. And fact, the president's fact. only solution seems to be to pass another $5 trillion bill, his so-called Build Back Better, this reckless tax and spending bill, which I know is going to make inflation worse. And then, of course, he goes after ballots and states and tries to have Washington take over elections. And if you're not for him on those things, you're either a racist or a traitor, probably both. <laughs> but we have a He'd be a good feeling on this show. Who's overwhelmed, who's ineffective. And I look at this, and to me, that signs that ends up as Biden's year of failure. Ooh, I like that one. And I, for, for as spicy as that was from the usually moderate Senator Brasso, uh, we, we will go straight to regular spice. I believe there are, yeah, there are four flame emojis on this clip that I have uh, of Jim Jordan kind of breaking it down for all of us to understand in only a way stakes could. I thank the gentleman. Mr. Speaker, the Democrats have objected to counting the presidential electors every single time this century a, pro- a Republican's been elected president. They spent four years trying to overturn the 2016 election. Democrats spied on a presidential campaign. They did impeachment in secret based on a so-called whistleblower whose identity only Congressman Schiff got to know. Mm. This Congress, they have closed the Capitol, enacted proxy voting, kicked Republicans off committee, and for the first time in American history, denied Republicans seats on a select committee that was chosen by the minority leader. They're trying to make D.C. a state, Mm -hmm. end the Electoral College, Mm -hmm. end the filibuster, Mm -hmm. pack the court, destroy Mm -hmm. executive privilege, take federal control of elections, and are currently allowing in jurisdictions illegal immigrants to vote. And finally, the January 6th committee has altered evidence and lied to the American people about it. But somehow they tell us it's President Trump and Republicans who are undermining democracy. Give me a break. Undermining democracy because we actually think you should show a photo ID when you go to vote. In one year's time, in one year's time, while Democrats are doing all that, in one year's time, they've given us record crime, record inflation, record illegal immigration. Facts. And as bad as all that is, it's not the worst. The worst is but wait, how they use the virus to attack our freedoms how they've used the virus to attack our First Amendment rights. And here's the irony. They use the virus to attack our liberties, even though everything they have told us about the virus has been wrong. 
They told us it didn't come from a lab. They told us it wasn't gain-of-function research. They told us it was only 15 days to slow the spread. They told us masks work. They told us we have a federal plan. Joe Biden said that himself. They told us there would never be a vaccine mandate. They told us vaccinate, people who get vaccinated can't give the, get the virus. The vaccinated can't transmit the virus. And they told us there was no such thing as natural immunity. Think about this. Think about this. At the same time, Democrats require you to put on a mask, show your papers and an ID to get a Big Mac at McDonald's. They don't want, they want to allow the federal government to stop states from requiring a photo How ID time to vote. This is ridiculous. Vote no on this legislation. And it wound up, like I already said, getting shot down by a 52 to 48 margin. They love doing the, oh, your gentleman's time has expired. Yeah. I know, every time. <laughs> gentleman's time. Yeah, gentlemen's time is expired. And just as, uh, you know, I previously mentioned this bill was shot down. Cinema and Manchin held their ground and, and sided with Republicans in saying that, you know, the federal government being involved in the uh, elections in the way that this bill would propose would probably just ruin everything and make sure that another true conservative or America first candidate uh, would never be able to get across the finish line at the ballot box ever again, legitimately. And speaking of which, right now, we're going to be getting ready to be joined by two back-to-back guests who are America First candidates that are trying to get across the finish line in the midterm elections. We're going to have Lynn's Piper Loomis, who's running against Nancy Mace in South Carolina 1, jumping in. And then right after her, we're going to sit down with Bo Hines, who's going to be running in North Carolina 7, and see what his campaign's all about. All right, joining us next on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, she is uh, running in South Carolina 1. She is a uh, midterm election challenger to Nancy Mace. She's a Christian and a mother and an America First candidate. Lynn's Piper Loomis, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure's all ours, ma'am. How's everything going with you? It's going great. We are... We just kicked it up several notches out here in the district and super excited about what's going on. Yeah, you guys have been working really hard out there. Let's talk about, uh, okay, so hypothetically speaking, we have a Republican House member sitting in South Carolina one. Uh, didn't really do the things that most Republican House members do. And by that, I mean voting for impeachment and, and siding with Nancy Pelosi and a lot of different, uh, um, you know, of the uh, legislation that's gone through. Let's talk about what your motivation was to get into this race and, and hopefully, you know, right the ship for not only your constituents, but that House seat at a national level. Yeah, definitely. So the first thing is I've been serving without recognition or pay, but just because I was an active duty wife transitioned as a veteran wife and also as a caregiver to my husband for over a decade uh, until he started walking and he's doing really great now. So I also served South Carolina for a two year term advocating for veterans and their caregivers as an appointee by Senator Elizabeth Dole. She has the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. Mm -hmm. I've been in that capacity. What really got me going several years ago was one education and what they were doing, even in Texas with the star testing. Right. And two, when my husband was active duty, um, Obama wanted to separate him without benefits because he became non-deployable due to um, combat injuries. And so also when that happened, um, 
he was, they wanted to remove a rank that he was about to sew on. So I said, no, it's not going to happen. Worked with two of his commanders and he retired and he sewed on that rank at the day of his retirement. So always have been taking every crack that he fell through in the VA and all of these areas to apply and helping others get the answers that they need. So our girls, myself, and we would visit uh, DC. I would meet with different leaders across the nation. And then I also became a statesman uh, traveling to different um, nations and different things like that in the purpose of civility and strategy. So fast forward, we've been actively engaged in the campaigns uh, since we moved here to South Carolina. And we knew, so I was speaking at a rally on January 5th at the Supreme Court. And later that evening, one of my best friends got a um, hankering for, I think, ice cream or something. She bumped in to Mace at Whole Foods and Mace basically, and she didn't harass her, accost her or anything like that. She just said, hey, we're all here to support you from South Carolina One. And I don't remember the exact verbiage, but um, she basically told her that she was not going to be supporting President Trump the next day. Mm. And so we we already had an idea that she was a, uh, a traitor yeah. and was going to betray not just President Trump, but our nation. And then you can see how she has been with the election process and all of that. She she thinks that Biden won fair and square, which she didn't. So mm. fast forward, I was inundated with people around me locally that said, hey, we want you to run. And I thought. You know, this is crazy at this point, but, you know, let me pray about it. And so God said, yeah, I want you to do this. And then General Flynn um, has also had encouraged me. He's like, we think you should run for Congress. Go with your gut instinct. And so I did. And we initiated this uh, campaign nine months ago with a call to action so this isn't, we're not in the process of, I'm not a career politician. I'm not a seasoned politician. I'm an American just like you. And I want to, we've got to save this nation. We're in that place. So this isn't move down into the state and think I can win this race because of the demographics, like one of the opponents in this race. Right. Race up in Massachusetts and then came down here and thought, what the heck? I'm going to run two weeks after moving here. But what we what we did, we said, OK, you want to save this nation. you got to get involved at a local level. So school board meetings, city council, county council, um, election, whatever. And so that's what we did. And we said, if you want to volunteer at the campaign, we really want you to get involved. Because as General Flynn says, local action creates a national impact. What we see happening at a macro level, it's what I always explain, happen at a micro level first. And we have some really, we have a lot of corruption in the, in the government and it needs to leave. Yeah, it sure does. It's great to hear. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you brought up that, that stuff about your husband and I'm, we're glad he's, he's doing, you know, better. It's, it's the advocacy part that kind of builds a strong, you know, skin on a candidate that's, that's ready to get into it because behind the scenes, there's just a lot of people who don't know that have gone through it, how, uh, you know, much of the red tape and how difficult it could be for a family to move on for things like that based on the stuff they tried to do to your husband. And then, you know, in regards to, to Nancy Mace, it is what it is. Our listenership's extremely aware of, you know, who she is and what she's done and how she hasn't, number one, represented her constituents, but number two, did not support the president when she was, you know, elected in South Carolina one to do so. So it's really great to hear that you've, uh, you know, thrown your name in there and and have had some really solid endorsements. Um, I do want to talk about some of the issues right now. I know you're a strong uh, advocate for border security and, and things like that. Why don't you, uh, you know, South Carolina is not really a state that, that touches the southwest border. However, as we all know, 
um, you know, the things that come across the southwest border definitely affect us all in uh, certain ways in different states. Whether You're saying it's, the southwest border touches everywhere? It certainly does. <laughs> you know, whether it be with crime, how it affects the middle class, uh, with the work and the wages, and, and then, you know, just uh, things of that nature. So why don't you touch on some of the things that you feel are important in regards to uh, kind of getting our border uh, safe and secure again? Yeah, so number one, every state is a border state. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent, I'm going down back down to the border next week. I'll be down there with um, Arizona Representative Mark Finchin, General Flynn, Christy oh. Hutchinson from Women Fighting for America, many um, leaders, former ICE um, director um, for Trump. There's going to be a lot of people down there. Yeah. And um, when I was down there, I didn't just go, I actually forgot to take photos. <clears throat> excuse me, and people actually remember to say, Lindsay, you need to do some footage. But what we see, South Carolina is ranked one of the top in the nation for trafficking. So, you know, we when we look at the state, we have, uh, I've spoken to many people, different agencies off record, uh, but what I saw at the border, you know, every person that was coming across this particular area where I was at, they're, they're enslaved to the cartel mm -hmm. until they their debt. Women are expected to be raped. And if they fight it, they're murdered. They're given a morning after pill. Children are drugged with Dramamine. They're raped. Um, and they're sold into slavery as well. And not only that, but the, what happens is their undergarments are hung on a tree as a trophy. Yep. Um, hey, this is what I did. And, you know, I'm so proud of me. But, you know, those are things that we saw. I saw uh, lingerie for children hanging up in storefronts on American soil by port of entry. Now, how does this translate into South Carolina? Well, trafficking translates, the drug trafficking, the cartel problem. We have an increase in gang activity. We've had multiple illegal immigrants that are coming into our state um, that have raped, uh, tried to rape oh, an active duty military woman just last year. And this is just what's been reported. Um, and was dragging her by her throat into a stall, was gonna throw a rag over her mouth. She was aware of her surroundings. She escaped, he was caught, I think a week later. Mm. We had another uh, woman, uh, a family that was murdered um, by an illegal immigrant. And this particular individual that was trying to rape the active duty military police woman was um, deported. I believe what, what I understand was deported during President Trump's term and came across back um, with Biden's uh, administration. And, you know, so there was no accountability. And we know that we've had, I think, over 5,000 children that have gone missing. Um, it affects our education system. It affects our infrastructure. Uh, there's many different things. So uh, when people say, well, how does this affect us? It affects us greatly. We have to cut off the root of the problem, which is drugs. And we've got to cut off the, mo the money source. And what I found when I was down at the border, I saw organizations like Catholic Charities, Methodist Charities that are incentivizing, giving these criminals um, water and food. I'm not talking about the women and the children necessarily, but the cartel. Um, the, I saw footage of a Syrian Middle Eastern terrorist that the cartel got across the border. The facial or the camera footage was sent to a government agency. Facial recognition uh, showed where he was three months later and he was captured um, in Washington, D.C. and he was on the terrorist watch list. This is just one case of many. Yep. So this stuff affects us. And the other thing is they're sending these buses by the busloads to South Carolina, to all these different states putting them on the planes. They don't have to go through security like you and I have to. I mean, I have 
a TSA pre-check, but they just to go, they get to go straight through. And then as long as there's someone on the other line that answers to the name and they're at the border processing unit, as long as Jorge or Sally or Joe or whoever answers on the other end of this line and says, yes, I know that person and this is it, they could pull the address up on the USPS um, address board. Guess what? They get sent on our taxpayer dollars. And so um, this is a massive problem. Yeah, it certainly is. And it's one that's not going away anytime soon. It sounds like you'd be on board with a lot of your other fellow America First candidates who are getting in the ring right now that are, that are not only calling for a, a, a soon after the midterm elections immigration moratorium just to kind of get a soft reset. I saw some article the other day that said immigration judges are, are currently between four and six years behind on their cases, not including all the over two million people that have come across, um, you know, this year or well, last fiscal year now, and, and then moving forward, really getting our border sealed again, probably finishing the wall and, uh, you know, helping our, our frontline staff down there, all of our officers and agents to, uh, you know, help make the border safe again. Yeah, so definitely we've got to do something, but the, I've been working, um, you know, I believe that we see these problems that we need to be working on solutions. And so that's why we're, this campaign to save America is actively engaged in solutions. So been involved with Christy Hutcherson. She's been such a resource yeah. with the campaign and with what's going on. Um, but I am against chain migration. And uh, I think that we've, we can build the wall. Yes, we need to finish the wall, obviously. But securing our border goes beyond the wall. It right. goes beyond the tunnels. It goes beyond all of that. If we can cut off the money, we can cut off the drugs. That's going to, that's the root of the problem. The thing is, is that it's, we had, you know, cartel was very limited in what they could do when President Trump was in office, but mm -hmm. now it's all over the place. And so there are some individuals that are tied through government um, connections to what's happening at the border. Yep. And those people need to be accountable and they need to be removed from position, whoever they are. And we, we've got to cut them off where it hurts, which is the drugs and the money. Yeah, I'd love to see some oversight into those individuals that you're uh, mentioning now and will probably be in the spotlight a little bit more after the midterm elections. Um, I just saw breaking in the last hour, Judge Jeffrey Brown, a federal judge in Texas, issued an injunction to halt the federal mandates for the vaccines um, on behalf of the Biden administration. Uh, how is that? you know, uh, resonate with you? And uh, w what do you feel uh, now that this is going to actually get into court and probably work its way uh, up to SCOTUS moving forward? This is this is probably a great first step in the right direction. Absolutely. I've always been a supporter of, um, or excuse me, against the, the mandates, even as a private citizen, when it all started, we saw this happening. That's why I've been fighting it from the beginning. My opponent, um, Mace, is actually for the mandatory masks and has been for uh, the vaccine. She's listed as South Carolina DHEX vaccine influencer. Mm. And my other opponents that moved down here from Massachusetts that I mentioned earlier was teaching people how to mask up and it was her favorite outfit to wear at Halloween. So this is actually a really great thing because we've been fighting against it from the beginning and actively engaged uh, with our citizens to fight against it and to bulldoze it. It's really going to need it needs to go back to the, this needs to go to the SCOTUS because at a local township level in Charleston, <clears throat> the mayor who is as um, corrupt and, and wicked with his rulership, he was requiring 
people to have a vaccine passport in order to attend a city hall meeting just recently. I think it was January 11th, so they could use their voice. So we had over 100 people standing outside protesting um, because they were wanting to do a second reading on an equity inclusion, paying reparations for slavery from the 1800s, um, sending uh, one of our statues that didn't even belong to them that they tore down to California on loan. But this is the same place that tore down um, a melted down statue. So this, this is a big move and I, it's going to continue to, I think we're, we're just going to see a tsunami. Look what's happened over with uh, the prime minister in England. It's going to happen here and it's going to happen a lot quicker than what we think. I believe. Yeah. It's definitely spiraled out of control. I mean, we've seen so many of the, uh, people on the left side of the aisle who have, you know, severely locked down and mandated their constituents go on vacations or to, you know, underground clubs, maskless and just do whatever they want. And, uh, you know, over in the UK, you see Boris Johnson has a few wine and cheese parties. And I don't think he's going to last the next couple of weeks, to be honest with you. I think he's going to have to step down and they're going to wind up getting a new PM over there. Um, I, I do want to ask about a couple other things that that you might be passionate about. I mean, there's a ton that we could touch on right now. We've got, you know, the economy and and then there's the inflation rate. We also have all the stuff that went on with Afghanistan and and things about national defense. I know you come from, you know, a military family with your husband and stuff like that. What are some of the other things that are, that are really major pillars of your platform that you want to get out to your constituents as you uh, head into the, you know, really tough part of uh, midterm election season? Yeah, so one is free and fair elections. We've been working with Arizona Representative Mark Fincham and many others. Awesome. Uh, who have paper ballots, paper ballot reconciliation, um, election day versus election season and make it a federal holiday. That's one thing. Okay, so inflation. We haven't um, we haven't seen this level in over 40 years. Right. And it's record spending. I, I, I mean, just think about this for a minute. trillion. That's maybe going to cover 2022, maybe 2023. If you as an individual were required to spend a million dollars a day going back before Jesus was born, it would take you 6,300 and some change years to pay that back. So we've been set up for an economical collapse and bankruptcy. So, I mean, running to OPEC and begging the Middle East for oil is not the answer. We don't need to close down line five. We need to reopen the Keystone pipeline, yes. we need to bring American jobs back. Small businesses are the heartbeat of our economy. And, you know, our local uh, mayor in Charleston without warrants was going into businesses, issuing citations to businesses, um, employees and consumers, ridiculous tyranny at its finest. Um, you know, so economy is a huge thing. Uh, the border, the election, and then education. Yes. We've been fighting. I call it criminal race theory. We don't have a racism issue. We have a civility issue. And so in South Carolina, we're ranked one of the worst in the nation for education. Uh, and we need to see um, the pornography that's hosted for sex education removed. The books that are um, horrific, we need those removed. Parents should have a voice. It is not the government's job. Hillary Clinton is famously quoted as saying it takes a village. Government's her a- a- answer, and it's not. We the people are the answer. People don't need to co-parent with the government. So my job 
is not why you need me in DC. It's why we need the people in DC represented. My job is to get the government out of the way and give the seat back to the people. And that's why we're running. And I just would finish that off with anyone else that chooses to get into the race at this point. Um, where were they last year when everything was uh, falling? Why didn't they get involved at a local level to create a national impact and to, to bring a change to our economy? Yeah, that's just uh, a lot of great points you make there. And uh, it definitely looks like with your candidacy now and a challenger that's actually going to represent South Carolina one and and really go to uh, uphold some of those Trump era policies, which isn't a fringe thing to say. The economy was flourishing. Jobs were great. You know, <laughs> racism was only what they made of it in the media. Like you couldn't find, you know, real instances of it at the at the ballot box. You couldn't find it in, in you know, the economy, the the demographics for minorities, jobs and getting off of government assistance was better than ever before. Uh, the border was a whole lot secure for sure. And, uh, you know, we were walking around uh, feeling great about our country and and really just going, you know, with that peace through strength narrative. So I, I, I think it's awesome to, number one, have you in the race and, and someone that's going to hold Nancy Mace uh, accountable. And I think at the end of the day, she's going to have a hell of a hard time keeping her seat with, with some of the things that that sounds like identifies a whole lot more with the constituents there in South Carolina one than, uh, you know, what she's represented over in the Beltway now. Linz, this has been great getting to uh, know you today. We do want to be able to direct as much traffic as we can your way, whether our listenership's going to go knock on doors or share your social media, of course, donate to your campaign. You can tell us about your social medias and maybe your congressional website. Yes, so the website is www.lynzsc for South Carolina.com. All of the social media social media platforms are on there. Uh, so Twitter, Facebook, Clout Hub, Telegram, Rumble, YouTube, Gab. I don't know if Gab's on there. We need to update that. And then um, I'm missing one. Uh, oh, Instagram. We are on Instagram. I think that covers all of them. Oh, and Getter, I'm on Getter as well. So you probably need to add the Getter app, but you can find me there, Lindsay Piper Williams. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll link the major ones and obviously your uh, your house website, and uh, we'll get everybody going and uh, interacting with you. Obviously, we're going to hope that you can come back between now and the midterm elections. It's been uh, great getting you know to you today, and uh, this is Linz Piper Lumos, who's running in South Carolina. One, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you so much. All right, joining us last today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he is the conservative candidate running for Congress in North Carolina, former NC State football player, a Yale alum. He's pro-life, pro-gun, and pro-Trump. Looking to represent North Carolina 7, Mr. Bo Hines. Thank you for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure, sir. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us and uh, jump on the show. So I want to get right into it right now. You're a young fella. You got a amazing educational background. You were a uh, premier athlete at the collegiate level, and now you're running for a house seat in North Carolina 7. Obviously, there was something that uh, motivated you to get in the ring right now and uh, throw your name in the hat. What's behind the uh, campaign and, and your motivation to run and represent the people in North Carolina 7? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it boils down to the fact that just like many Americans, I'm tired of the stagnancy and complacency in Congress. And you know, we've watched us get our heads bashed in for the last several decades from the yeah. left, and we haven't been able to hold our ground. And now we're at a point where it's no longer just about holding our ground and holding the line. We have to take ground back. I mean, Americans are watching their rights be stripped away every single day. We're, we're watching our access to the public square be taken away from us. 
Um, and we can't afford to be in this position any longer if we want to protect the republic that we've had for the last 250 years. Yeah, that's definitely something that uh, would motivate most people to get in the ring if they could go in there and, and run for a House seat. How's the campaign been treating you so far? What's the reception been like, possible endorsements, stuff like that? How's the, how's the trail been treating you? It's been awesome. I mean, we have been overwhelmed by the amount of support that we've had on the ground. We started this process about a year ago. Um, it's taken many twists and turns since then, or twists and turns, excuse me. It's just, it's crazy to see how the redistricting process in North Carolina plays out. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're notorious um, for having, you know, quite the debacled system down here, uh, but we're working our way through that and hoping that we actually have, you know, maps here soon so we can be out there in the field and know where we're actually going to be campaigning. But you know, if any if any candidate or even legislator that's currently in office tells you they know where their district is right now, they're a liar because we have no idea what's going to happen with the court process here in the next month or so. Yeah, there's a lot of changes going on in, in several states still and a lot of campaign maps yet to be released, which I think is very interesting as we're now like nearly 11 months away, well, 10 months away from when people are actually going to cast their votes. Yeah, it's nuts. I, I know recently in North Carolina, the appellate court upheld the maps that the state legislature drew. Um, in my opinion, the maps are constitutional. They're fair. Obviously, um, there will be a partisan nature attached to it because we won the, the House races in the General Assembly. So they have the right to draw the maps under the North Carolina state constitution. So we'll see what the Supreme Court does. Um, right now, Democrats have a majority on that court. So uh, we're not optimistic that the maps will stay the same. But we do think we're going to have a great district to run in when it sorts itself out. Well, that's great to hear. Now, 100 percent. America first, 100% pro-Trump, and I'm assuming that's pro-Trump era policies are, are definitely going to be the things that are interwoven into your campaign. What are the things that have really, I mean, you talked about the left pushing back, taken and never given for, for decades now that are you're going to be uh, out there promoting in your campaign that that really makes you one of those America first candidates that upholds Trump era policies? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think the first thing we need to talk about is protecting our rights. And you, you covered my platform and I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, protecting our First Amendment rights to speak openly and honestly protecting our Second Amendment right to defend ourselves, defend our families, and to defend against the usurpatious government, which is really why it's there and why our founding fathers put it there. Right. Um, and then obviously, you know, we want to protect the right to life for unborn children. I know today the, uh, the March for Life is happening in Washington. Yeah. Um, and the, obviously, you know, I'm a steadfast supporter of that movement. We want to make sure that we end abortion uh, in the United States. Um, but beyond that, I mean, there's so many different issues that, like you said, and we have to take ground back on. I mean, we think about big tech, Section 230, areas like that, but uh, also immigration, right? I mean, this is one of the, the main components of what it means to be an America First candidate. You know, there's a populist wave in our country right now that we can't ignore. I would consider myself riding that wave. Uh, that's where my ideological position lands. Um, and I think it's no longer enough to say we want a secure border. I mean, that's an obvious, right? But we also want limited immigration. I and mean, we're the greatest country in the world. We should be very selective about who we let in here. I mean, we have to protect, we have to protect our national identity, our culture, and our values. And those that wish to come here need to also wish to assimilate to our culture and protect our core republic as well. Yeah, that's really great to hear you weigh in on the border and uh, for the reasons why we'd like to see at least an immigration pause, to say the least, and then maybe a revetting of all the millions of people that the current administration has let in here over the last you know, 12 months and, and, and seeing what we could do uh, to fix that moving forward. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about was uh, voter integrity. I know, uh, you know, down there in the South, you had some issues in, in, in states like Georgia. And, uh, you know, voter reform is definitely something that you know, a lot of people, especially Trump supporters moving forward and all these America first candidates heading into the midterms want to see. We want honestly 
safe and secure elections that are that you know don't disenfranchise voters and uh, things like that. We also saw the voter rights bill killed up on uh, Capitol Hill last week, which I think was a huge win for uh, you know everybody in the country. And uh, just wanted to get your kind of takes on what what you'd like to see in regards to uh, maybe election reform. Yeah, well, I mean, I honestly think it boils down to two simple things that definitely need to happen. We need voter ID across the country. Yes, that is a state legislature issue. But, you know, the vast majority of Americans want to see that push through. So there's no reason why state legislature should ignore that. Um, I also want to end mail-in balloting. I mean, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to go to the polling location. And if you can't, then we'll find, obviously, uh, ways around that for those people. But they need to prove that they can't get out there. Right. So we do want a fair system. We want to make sure that, you know, everyone has the opportunity to voice their opinion at the ballot box. And we also need to make sure that, that people's votes are not suppressed, which is something that, you know, Democrats complained about in 2016. We talked about, you know, we can go through the whole Russia Gate scandal and all that right. different stuff. But um, now they're the same people saying that, oh, right now, there's no there's no fair voting system. Not everyone can get to the polls. And I mean, you know, how racist is it for them to say that requiring voter ID uh, disenfranchises African-American people in our country? I mean, what are they actually saying when they say that, that African-American people are incapable of getting an ID? I mean, you, you need an ID to do anything. You need an ID to go to the store. You need an ID to get a loan. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe that the vast majority of Americans, and I think that polling supports this, uh, are on board with voter ID, and they think that's an integral part of protecting our election system. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one. And uh, yeah, it just seems like the people that are the loudest against it are just the politicians that have the most to lose. Well, and they're also the politicians that are, you know, implementing mandates and stuff right now that require you to show some form of ID to enter a restaurant, a gym, a movie theater, et cetera. So the hypocrisy and projection that they use to try and paint a different narrative than what the American people want. And I've seen some polls that show all the way from the mid 70s up into the 80s that most Americans feel that voter ID is something that they're in favor of. It's just something that, you know, this wave of America first agenda candidates coming in the midterms is really going to have to start to like repaint, I think for the American public as uh, something that's just not looked at as bad. So, and, and something that's looked at as normal to secure our elections. You know, we yeah, had, no, you're, go yeah. ahead. I mean, I think it's funny. It's, it's ironic that, you know, you basically need three forms of identification to buy a cheeseburger in Washington, DC. <laughs> yeah. But, you don't need an idea to go vote on who's going to lead your country, right? Um, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. The hypocrisy on the left is unbelievable. But we have to call them out on it. I mean, that's the thing that frustrates me uh, with our current delegation is that, you know, we can win the messaging war so long as we push forward on what our message actually is. Because I do believe that we have the majority, especially on, on election integrity, especially on voter ID and mail-in balloting and things like that. But we can't allow the left to bully us into thinking that, you know, we don't have the support that we need to to push this through. I think this this crop of candidates, including yourself, that's coming through in the midterms right now is so strong. We see close to now 30 House Republicans who aren't going to be either running for reelection. Um, they're going to get districted out or they're just going to retire and walk away. Uh, they definitely see the writing on the wall and that, you know, writing on the wall is going to be the continuation of America first policies that made President Trump such a successful president in his term. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with that. I, I also think that, you know, there's there's a huge delineation between you know, the actual MAGA candidates and those that are grifters. And we have to be very careful uh, who we're promoting. And we have to, we have to study these elections and, and study these different races across the country, because the last thing we want is more rhinos in Congress. And so, you know, we go back to, you know, who's in my corner, who's supporting our race. Well, I've made it very clear that, you know, I'm not seeking any endorsements outside of the Freedom Caucus. You know, I've pledged to join the caucus. Um, that's the lane that I'm running in. And I'm honored to have the support of, of people like Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, 
uh, Congressman Madison Cawthorn, Congressman Matt Gates, Congressman Paul Gosar. Uh, I think it's pretty evident based on the people that have stepped up to endorse my candidacy uh, where we are and what we represent here in North Carolina. Yeah, you're talking about some of the most based representatives we have in uh, Congress right now, especially uh, Dr. Gosar. I think he is uh, quietly probably the most based of them all. <laughs> I would agree with that. For sure. One of the things that uh, is definitely a hot topic on the table right now, in addition to the poor response that he gave during his biannual press conference the other day, what <laughs> uh, was what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. There is so much of a backstory between, you know, those two countries fighting since the fall of the Soviet Union. In addition to the fact, I believe the actual numbers that show Americans want no business getting into wars that don't affect us at all. Uh, maybe maybe at the gas pumps a little bit, but again, if we were still in energy independent off of Trump ever policies, we wouldn't have to worry about getting our gas from Russia. But um, it's definitely one of the things that uh, is on the mind of most Americans. National defense right now, after the Afghanistan withdrawal, or whatever you'd like to call it, combined with what's going on in uh, Russia and the Ukraine, you've got North Carolina, or I'm not sorry, North Korea, uh, firing off missiles over South Korea, and then China and Taiwan heating up uh, even more by the day. What's your stance on national defense? Uh, is it more of a piece through strength, maybe sanctions, and uh, having strong leadership, or is it like we are now, kind of banging the war drum and having all the uh, legacy media and, and military industrial complex kind of foaming at the mouth for uh, more attention to themselves and less attention on the failures of the current administration with what's going on over there in Ukraine? Yeah, I will put it back to your North Carolina comment for a second, because with Governor Cooper down here, we're starting to resemble uh, North Korea a lot more uh, <laughs> than we would as a, as a state of this United States re Republic that we have. But, um, you know, I agree with you that that Americans don't want to see us um, in, in drastic conflicts overseas. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time um, with really much not much result to show for it. Right. right. So. I think we need to focus on our domestic agenda. We need to secure our own border before we start worrying about the borders of other countries across the globe. Um, and with that, you know, obviously we need to protect our interests. I'm 100% a peace through strength guy. Our military is of the utmost importance, and we need to make sure that we're investing heavily in military technology and our infantry men, right? I mean, we need to make sure that our men and women of the military are taken care of, not only when they're serving, but afterwards as well. And I think that you do these men and women a disservice when you send them into conflicts that don't benefit the American people. Um, and so you can call that an isolationist stance, but I really don't think it is. I mean, we have the right to be opportunistic as a country, right? I mean, we're competing against global powers like China um, that are seeking to, to capitalize on, on any facet that they can in, in terms of the global sphere, the global theater. And we have to behave in a similar fashion or else we're going to continue to get run over on, that, on a worldly stage. Yeah, 100% agree with that right there and definitely want to see more peace through strength. It's, it looks like when, you know, the leader of the free world, the president of the United States, Donald Trump got out there on the international stage, just his presence kind of made everybody fall in line. And then you would see a lot of stuff that was heating up around the globe kind of simmer down. And you would see some of the real problems, let's just say, whether it was ISIS or it was Salmani or it was raining in China, just kind of like automatically start to fall in line and automatically start to, uh, you know, work more towards being together in the globe instead of, uh, you know, going out and doing their own things and trying to evade countries and, and ruin economies and stuff like that. So I think, uh, you know, the whole peace through strength narrative is, is something that we'd like to see with a lot of our America first candidates as well. And it, it, it Trump proved it was something that worked overwhelmingly well with some of these major leisures and uh, awful regimes out across the world. 
No, I, I think you're exactly right on that. I mean, if the Trump administration didn't prove that peace through strength works, I don't know what does. Um, but, you know, as we continue to involve ourselves in foreign conflicts in the Middle East and places like that, uh, I think that we've we've all bared witness um, to, to what can, can what to what can result from that, which is complete catastrophe. I mean, obviously, the Biden administration had a major blunder in the way that they dealt with Afghanistan. People yes. are still extremely upset about that, as they should be. Um, I mean, when you're committed to, to changing something that long somewhere and, we, and we've lost, you know, countless men and women in that fight, uh, the way that he left, the way that he dismantled our operation there was absolutely disgraceful and people should be upset. Yeah, that's a uh, makes a whole lot of sense. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you, and it touches back on some of the endorsements you've gotten, some of the people who are already in the House of Representatives that you're working with, the Madison Cawthorns, the Matt Gates, uh, Dr. Gosar, MTG. And, and you know, one of the things we're definitely going to want to see next year, in addition to kind of just full stopping the Biden administration on any kind of legislation that they want to pass, because nothing that they've presented in the first 12 months showed anything that has anything to do with bipartisanship. So we could only imagine that it's going to get worse now that they've been stopped at every angle with majorities in the House, Senate, and obviously occupying the executive office as well. When you get to Washington, D.C., and you're going to be able to be working with some of these House representatives and senators, what are some of the things oversightedly that you'd like to see yourself getting involved with? I mean, we've heard, you know, Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, all the bigs talking about impeachment for things on like Afghanistan and the border. And then there's getting to the whole bottom of the COVID narrative, which is just something that has really hurt our economy and, and the middle class, you know, over the last two plus years now. What are some of the things that are really like getting your attention that you'd like to get into and work with some of these already in D.C. reps in addition to the America First candidates that are coming in the midterms that, uh, you know, you'd like to see get done? Yeah, I mean, we have to band together. I mean, even if we're a small group of patriots up there, we can make drastic changes that benefit the American people. And I think that, you know, ultimately with, with these committees like the J6 committee, I mean, we should use them to our advantage. Let's flip mm-hmm. the narrative. Let's find out what happened with the Fed's surrection when you have someone like Ray Epps encouraging people to break into the Capitol, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and this boils down to the fundamental principle that you just you can't trust government. And when you give government power, they're never going to give it back. Right. I mean, it boils down to like the the old conservative adage, but it's true. And it's something that we need to remind ourselves every single day. I think the biggest battle that we're going to have in our our incoming class is making sure that these over overarching, you know, government powers and government mandates that they've taken from us and stripped us basically of our our everyday rights in terms of going somewhere and buying food without having to show, you know, papers. um, it's something we're going to have to correct very quickly or else, you know, we're going to see government continue to run down this road at a pace that we can't keep up with. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent point you have there. And, you know, in addition to the small group of really strong um, libertarians and uh, you know, America first candidates that are heading to Washington, DC, hopefully after these midterm elections, it looks like we're going to have a, a mighty big pushback and definitely a whole bunch of people working in the beltway that are going to actually represent the American people and not some globalist agenda of one world, everything. And, uh, you'll own nothing and eat crickets. There's crickets. Yeah. Again. <laughs> so, well, this has been great getting to sit down and, and, and chat with you for a bit today. Uh, sometime between now and, and, and the midterms in the fall, we'd love to have you come back, give us an update on the campaign. Obviously you're going to get the redistricting here and, who knows, um, hopefully in the next month where you can really get out and hit the campaign trail hard, start to raise a lot of money. But we do want to be able to direct our listenership to uh, not only follow you, but support you. And whether it's knocking on doors or, or donating directly to your campaign, we'd like to get your uh, website and uh, social media so we can direct them there. Sure. Our website is bow4nc.com. That's bow the number 4nc.com. 
Uh, we're still on most of the major social media platforms. Luckily, uh, the big tech overlords have not banned us yet. So you can follow us on Twitter at Bo Hines. You can follow us on Gitter at Bo Hines NC or on Instagram at Bo Hines NC as well. You know, wait till you really hit the campaign trail. You'll be, <laughs> then it'll hit you back hard. So, yeah. yeah, it was really great sitting down with you today. And uh, we wish you the best of luck. It, it seems like you're doing the right thing and in it for the right reasons. And we really appreciate you joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. This is Bo Hines running to represent North Carolina 7, America First candidate. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, what would you guys think of the, both of those America First candidates? I think South Carolina 1 and North Carolina 7 after redistricting is going to be in quite good hands. Yeah, I like it. Salad. Both very solid, and I think uh, Nancy Mace has her work cut out for her in regards to keeping her seat when it comes to Lynn's Piper Loomis. And like we all just alluded to, Bo Hines is uh, more than solid representation of uh, – what we need for this country right now. And like he, he mentioned during his interview, some of the endorsements, the Gosars, Cawthorns, MTGs, et cetera, Matt Gates, those are some uh, good bandwagons to hit your uh, trailer to. So I like it. How old has Ben uh, Bo Hines? I'm sorry. I think he just finished uh, college when, in 2018. So you can derive wow. that. Yeah, he's like in the Cawthorn wheelhouse of uh, age, I think. Amazing. Probably going to be one of the youngest representatives. Yeah, I believe so. Then, but awesome. after after starting out at uh, Yale and, and being able to yeah. survive as, as such a conservative, I think he's got a really good base built for him, and it's going to be one hell of a campaign moving forward. I'm glad he said that we can invite him back anytime because we surely will. I think there's a lot to be said for people that have gone through these institutions and not come out as the gray mind washed person that a lot of people seem to be. Totally. Are you talking about the? Uh, as Nick used to put it, hot pocket eating basement dwellers. Yes. Who live at their parents' house. Mm-hmm. Love it. I like hot pockets, though, and tater tots. I, for our listening audience, Noah did follow up on that segment with Raheem Kassam last week, made himself tater tots, and sent it to our Steak for Breakfast group chat. It was delicious. They look delicious. <laughs> Air fryer tater tots. Ooh. You know what else was delicious? The remix that was a bad, ah. <laughs> bad Week for Joe Biden Part 2. Uh, last week we saw... Some pretty awful stuff, and then this week with the killing of the voter rights bill on the House and Senate floors, it, it pretty much ensured piggybacking off of that god-awful conference uh, presser that he gave the other day that it was not going to be good. Joe Dushborough and friends were, weighed in on the uh, bad little while that Joe Byron's been having. Let's hear them kind of uh, continue to walk back their narrative on him. The thing is, the Democrats have 50 senators. The Republicans have 50 senators. One of the great mysteries, uh, and I want Lemire to talk about this in a second, one of the great mysteries for historians are going to look back and say, how is it that this guy ran against a dozen or so progressives? He was the only moderate. He ran as a moderate. He won as a moderate. Every single progressive got rejected. One, like the, those debates were crazy. They were talking about re-implementing busing. They were so far left. They wanted to give health care to illegal immigrants. Like it was so. Uh, come across the border, we'll give you health care. It was so wildly out of the mainstream of where about eighty yeah. percent of Americans are. Biden ran as a moderate. Biden won as a moderate. Biden decided, and his people around him, I guess, decided that he was going to govern as a leftist. It has failed miserably in the expectations game. Mm. Not expecting that. Yeah, I, I was actually watching it live the other day, and I was I had to go back and, and rewind the television to make sure that I number one right. was, was on the right channel. I like that you can rewind your television. It's yeah, fancy. It's definitely. Uh, I like it. 
But uh, number two, to hear a bunch of radical lefty progressives talk about how bad right. the president being a lefty radical progressive president is killing him right now. And then they <laughs> pointed out some of the things that they have all harped on and championed for the last half decade. And that is paying illegal immigrants for everything, including healthcare and uh, busing in regards to voters and stuff like that, et cetera. So I just thought that was a really good tell. It was kind of a reverse projection. I don't know if that's what you want to call it, yeah. but uh, definitely not what I was expecting to hear from uh, Joe Doucheborough and friends. Um, something else I don't think anybody expected to hear, and, and circling back to that awful pressure that Joe Biden gave, was his comments on Russia and Ukraine, where he essentially said just the tip's not going to be considered like a military operation to to him. Uh, we did have some live on-the-ground reporting from CNN right after that presser, and in addition to the bad week he had, commenting on some of those things he talked about during his presser. Let's hear, let's hear this reporter be really sad. You've spoken exclusively with Ukrainian official about Biden's comments. What did they tell you? Well, I mean, to say, Erin, that they were displeased when they heard those comments would be an understatement. One of the officials that I spoke to said that he was shocked when he heard President Biden draw a distinction between an incursion and an invasion <laughs> and to suggest that if there was some kind of min min minor, rather, incursion into Ukrainian territory, uh, then that would be treated differently and elicit lesser sanctions than a, a major invasion. It's, it's, it's not the kind of nuance we've heard before. It's certainly something Ukrainian officials say they've never heard spelled out to them, although I understand it's that kind of sliding scale of sanctions, depending on the seriousness of the Russian action that's being discussed uh, privately. Never well, I look at it this way. No, what do you think if uh, how would the uh, the military, the Department of Defense react if like some people in Canada who were in the military did a minor incursion into, let's just say, North Dakota or Michigan, you know, cross the border with with military hardware, shot a couple people. Maybe like took over a few streets compared to a full. Oh, you mean this military or like the original military? Let's just talk in general. Okay. So would, would we consider General that... Milley? <sighs> no, definitely not General <laughs> Milley. How dare you? He would he would pull on his stockings, adjust his eyeliner, Fix put on his... some pink boots. There you go. Some press on, and then roll up in a ball and not do anything. He'd be like, "Bitch, I've been to two foreign wars." <laughs> um. But I don't think the United States would treat a minor incursion from Canada or Mexico no. any differently than if, like, the entirety of their military invaded the United States. And I don't no. think we should have supposedly the leader of the free world talking the same way. Um, I, I think we could all agree with that. Totally. Well, some of the senators uh, weighed in on the bad week that was. Um, Tom Cotton jumped on with uh, Harris Faulkner. And uh, kind of gave a little bit of commentary on Putin's behavior and, and acting the way he's acting right now. And it's because, you know, we all know Joe Biden's an illegitimate president. Let's hear him kind of give a take on it. Vice President and the press secretary and all the other White House underlings can go on every TV show they want today. That doesn't change the fact that Joe Biden yesterday got in some kind of academic philosophical debate about what level of invasion into Ukraine might hmm. uh, re cause a Western response into some kind of academic debate uh, about why Vladimir Putin is doing what he's doing. He's doing it because Joe Biden is weak and impotent and he thinks he can take <laughs> advantage of him. The last time we had a Democratic president, Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine as well. But 
You know, for four years of Republican president and former President Trump, Vladimir Putin didn't invade Ukraine. Good point. Why do we think that is, despite the Democrats yelling Russia, Russia, Russia for four years? It's because Putin understood that, that Donald Trump, like Republicans, are strong, and we stand by our allies and partners around the world. I like to see Tom Cotton grovel a little bit to Papa. It's uh, a little bit out of his wheelhouse as of late, but uh, definitely welcomed. Definitely. Well, I think uh, someone who could probably weigh in a little bit more elegantly than uh, Tom Cotton is uh, one of our favorite national treasures, Senator John Kennedy. And uh, he jumped on with uh, one of the late night shows the other day, and he was talking about how, uh, you know, just how he feels about Joe Biden and, and the last couple of weeks that he had. Let's check this one out. American people may be poorer <laughs> under President Biden's administration, but they're not stupid. Uh, They see, Martha, what you and I see. A fair assessment of the Biden administration after one year uh, is that it runs a tight shipwreck. I mean, let me count the ways. This administration has mismanaged COVID. It's mismanaged Congress. It's mismanaged the border. It's mismanaged inflation. It's mismanaged securing our streets. It's mismanaged foreign policy, including but not limited to Afghanistan. And just last week, the president traveled to Georgia to uh, participate in racial demagoguery. I mean, how many roads must a man walk down before he knows he is lost? Oh, it shouldn't take more than one block for Joe Biden at this point. Well, I mean, he probably gets lost in the hallway in the hotel room. I'm Jill's husband. Listen here, fat. Yeah. (laughs) Did somebody say push-up contest behind the woodshed? Uh, Kennedy has some amazing zingers, though, lately. I mean, he always does, but I I love the way he delivers. You know, I don't, I don't love all of his financial interests, but then it's, yeah. kind, it's kind of hard to find how bad uh, some of them are. But, right. um, you know, it, it's one of those things where there have been some whisperings of Senator Kennedy maybe being considered as a replacement for uh, our least favorite turtle. Ooh, that'd be nice. Yeah, as leader in the Senate. And I don't necessarily know if I would hate that one because if there's one thing he could do, it's definitely take uh, the other side of the aisle to task verbally when he goes and talks about pushing the agenda, which I think what the uh, Senate majority leader's job should be. And it's funny to listen to. So I, I, I bet you, you know, we've seen him in some some committees and in some hearings. He probably could get a little bit of a whip going, you know, whip for those votes that he's going to need after the midterm elections. So in kind of a state exclusive. Papa jumped on with Sean Hannity last night. Boomer, sweats, and suit. Mm, so many sweats. Doomer, everything. Sean Hannity, end of the world. If you're not back immediately, Mr. President, please tell us all about Donald Trump. Calmed him down. and not all the Louis Vuitton, Not Louis Vuitton sweats, though. No, no, which are a real thing. We, we were able to fact check our else <laughs> and find them. Um, Donald Trump was asked about how bad he thought especially after the last two weeks, things really are. He touched on it in his rally last weekend. However, you know, we've had had some developments over the last, well, at least course of this week that would kind of add fuel to the fire. That is the current state of the nation that's getting burnt down by the radical progressive left and uh, Joe Byron. Let's hear him kind of weigh in on it. Well, it was a very sad time for our country. I want him, forget politics, I want him to do well. Mm. He's got to do well. Our country's in trouble. What's happened in the last year, 
I don't think we've ever had anything like it in this country. When you look at that horrible situation in Afghanistan, the way they got out, getting out was good, but the way they got out, we could have gotten out with strength and with dignity and kept Bagram, which is right next to China, yep. one hour away from where they make their nuclear weapons. We should have kept it. Billions and billions of dollars it cost many <laughs> years ago it. to build. And the way we got out, soldiers killed, most importantly. And then on top of it, $85 billion worth of equipment, the best equipment anywhere in the world. They have one of the biggest and most well-equipped equipped armies. Now they're selling it to Russia, to China, to anybody that wants it. They're leaving $85 billion worth of airplanes and tanks and 700,000 machine guns and rifles and everything else. It's, uh, I think I heard 70,000 trucks, 70,000. There's no car company Crazy. in the country that would have 70,000 cars or trucks. And uh, it's just a very sad, it's a very, very sad time for our country. And he's not wrong. Not at all. I mean, we point out on a bi-weekly basis right now already um, some of the sad state that is currently the United States, and, and we bring on a lot of glimmers of uh, hope and, and things to look forward to in these, you know, former Trump admin officials that we know are going to be back and a lot of the America First candidates and, and conservative personalities that are, you know, trying to right the ship here. But at the end of the day, it's the reality of looking at it. You know, it's like we've talked about before. We unplug after recording for two, three hours, twice a week on here, and then we go back out into the real world where, you know, the borders are open, drugs are crazy, human trafficking is out of control, our country's being threatened on at least three or four foreign theaters, and our national interest down, you have the southwest border wide open, and uh, the economy and inflation, in addition to all the shit that's going on with crime in the schools, and it's just, it's it's awful. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where at some point you have to look at the reality of it, and, and part of that reality is knowing how we got here, and then what are we going to do to rectify that and get this country back on the right track. Um, one of the fake news media things that we've talked about in extent for the last week, uh, we weighed in on it with Raheem Kassam from the National Pulse on uh, our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, was what their latest podcast was about, and that was the uh, how real or legitimate is the feud between Donald Trump and, and Ron DeSantis heading into the midterm season and then <clears throat> the primary season for the presidential election of 2024. Uh, Sean Hannity asked him about it, and, 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 and he gave an answer that I think uh, – Best kind of shapes it up. Let me ask you, uh, a friend of mine was with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis the other day and uh, had a private conversation, but he, didn't, he said he didn't have, it wasn't confidential. And he asked if any of this, if, there's, if there is any conflict or bickering between you and him, and he said, absolutely not. He said it's total BS. Is he right? Well, he is right. I get along great with Ron. Ron was very good on the Mueller hoax. He was uh, he was right up front, along with Jim Jordan and all of the rest of them. They were fantastic. The Republicans really stuck together, and it was a great thing. And Ron was one of them. And Ron wanted to run, and I endorsed him, and that helped him greatly. And uh, he went on, and he's done a really terrific job in in Florida. And I think, you know, Ron has been— very good. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. It's totally fake news. I think Ron said last week, he said it very publicly, he says, the press is never going to get in the middle of my friendship with Donald Trump. We're not going to do that stuff. And he said it very strongly. I thought it was very interesting, actually, and very nice. But he said that. 
And I agree with him on that 100 percent. No, I have a very good relationship with Ron and intend to have it uh, for a long time. Well, there you have it. I yeah. knew that from the beginning. I think we I all mean, did. I, I yeah, think. we all did. I mean, anonymous sources and this and that. I mean, they would love nothing more than to pin them against each other. And they're just looking for a story because they have nothing else to talk about, apparently. But and I'm glad he cleared that up because a lot of people in our own community as well were, you know, calling Ron out and, and actually believing like what the media says. I mean, people are since when do we listen to the media? I mean, come on now really anonymous sources. Yeah, it's a it, it, it's 100% factual and I think at the end of the day if you look at who those two personalities are, how important they are to the conservative movement and the fact yeah. that the that the left and legacy media are going to do anything to try to separate them and pin them against each other. But you have to look also at listen, when exactly. they when they ding each other publicly but indirectly without saying their names, you don't think to a whole bunch of staffers, they're sitting in a room and they're like, dude, this guy's, what a fucking asshole for saying that. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it be DeSantis talking about Trump saying people who don't say they got boosted are cowards and, and vice versa. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where that's human nature. It happens when somebody pisses you off. It doesn't matter if they're your family members or they're your friends or their coworkers. Uh, you'll tell other people behind closed doors that they're fucking assholes. So if, oh, yeah, I made a mistake or whatever, you know, but it doesn't mean you're mortal enemies now. <laughs> no, and I think that whole narrative is now going to be conveniently well, put to bed. Well, they're also pushing uh, uh, DeSantis for 2024, and he's already going to run for governor again. And there's he, I don't think he's going to run. He knows it's political suicide and it's another you know rumor that the media is trying to push. Yeah, I, I think the only benefit from having him run, remember, he doesn't stop being governor if he runs for president. He's he's still right. the governor. If he drops out of the race, he just reassumes his position as governor of Florida. For Donald Trump having to uh, the ability to sharpen his swords, I think that would be the only good thing to have someone who's strong in policy and all the things that uh, you know happened during the Trump presidency that he supported him in, making sure that he's still going to do that and more moving forward. Definitely. Well, in our last audio clip of the day in this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast, we are, you know, we have painted a kind of complete picture today, whether it be from the guests we've had on or the news that we brought you guys. And Noah's probably happy because we made it through now two shows without doing any kind of real extensive segment on COVID. <laughs> Me. Fluvid. Fluvid. It's as, it, it, it's as fire me. Oh. Give, fi give me $5 to my campaign and I'll fire Fauci. <laughs> five ten maybe a hundred dollars there's a picture of me on that not the one in my house it's not the bobblehead it's it says via fauci on Rand paul's website not that one there's there's three or four in my office it says donate here <laughs> garbage jen saki weighed in on the week that was because she understands what the pulse of the american people are apparently and she I mean, knows that people are out there who are frustrated sad angry even pissed off and she probably had some Excellent policy measures that are going to help rectify all the things that they've done to burn down this country in year one. Let's hear it. So my advice to everyone out there who's frustrated, sad, angry, pissed off, feel those emotions, 
go to a kickboxing class, have a margarita, do whatever you need to do this weekend, and then wake up on Monday morning. We got to keep fighting. Oh. And what that means, Lindsay, is we have to keep talking to members about federal legislation. That's essential. That's something that can be permanent, that can make sure people's rights are protected. But we also need to uh, make sure people are educated in states across the country about what their rights are, oh. uh, how they can vote, when they can vote, how to request an absentee ballot. There's a lot we need to do on that front, and that's going to rely on the energy and the anger of those that activism as well. Uh, cardio, booty, kickboxing, and a margarita solves everything that's been wrong with this country for well, the last year. Krispy Kreme didn't work, so. <sighs> that's only if you get your booster. Well, that's what I'm saying. It didn't work. Well, Antoinette, you hear that, and uh, I saw you cringe a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you were reaching for something or you, or you almost fell off the chair. I, I'm hoping it was a combination <laughs> of both. I was trying to get another uh, one of my water bottles. No, I'm good. Um, when, I mean, it's like, thanks for the advice, you know? Um, yeah. Thanks cool. for the advice. Go fuck yourself. Wait, yeah, wait, wait. Just wait. How, how are you going to go? I mean, I'll definitely going to have a margarita after how listening gonna, to your ass. Go, how are you going to go kickboxing <laughs> if the gym's closed? Exactly. Good point. Well, you know what I have to say to Jen Saki? Happy fuck yourself. federal vaccine mandate injunction day. Ah. Got him. <laughs> Got him. Got him. So, and you know, as, as we wrap up this episode right now, it's one of those things where uh, we just got to go and uh, keep doing what we're doing, holding the line, bringing it in, bringing it home, getting those candidates and, and, and influencers out there for you to hear. And uh, you know, as cliche as it sounds, keep holding the line. That's all we could do. Push back on these things, find ways either uh, legally or federally to uh, stop them like we saw today with the federal vaccine mandate injunction down there in Texas. Or, you know, just do the things that you need to do that make you happy, like Jen Saki said. You or, know, listen, I mean, as crazy as things seem right now, we're winning a lot of things. Right a lot, now. a lot of things. Yeah, we're doing really well. And yes, continue to hold the line because we're going to get there. Yeah, and, and you, you know what's also crazy? All the places you can listen to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now even iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. Haven't had one of those in a couple months. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show credits of the week obviously go to our three guests. We had uh, gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. We had Nancy Mace's midterm election challenger. Lynn's Piper Loomis out of South Carolina 1 and looking to represent North Carolina 7 Mr. Bo Hines in addition to that we have all of our internet friends who help make this show great again Cagbro88 has been doing some amazing work behind the scenes regarding all those FOIAs he's requesting etc uh, the Patriotic Babe accounts Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News uh, Mr. Garbaggio and all of his accounts Christina Bob of OAN and Tom Pappert the editor-in-chief of the National Files friends don't forget to uh, get out there and uh Waste some money at all of our partners. They're all American-owned and operated businesses, and by you servicing them, it helps make them great again. My Pillow, Mike Lindell's got sales like you've never even heard of before. My Pillows are up to seventy-five percent off. Giza Dream Sheets, forty percent off. Giza Dream Slippers, fifty percent off, and more. MyPillow.com/forward/slash/steak. Steak at checkout is the promo code to use. And if you feel like chatting about election integrity or uh, making your sleep experience a little bit better, talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. 
the top tier of ear gear. Staring at it right now. Hey, Noah. Hey. Nice headphones. I like them. Where'd you get them? Odyssey.com. Nice. They are the top tier of ear gear. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay Ready Gear holsters. Pretty simple equation. They take a block of plastic, they melt it, they take a picture that you send them, and they put it on said melted plastic, shape it into a holster, or mag carrier, or a dump tray, or a beer coaster, and then they send it to your house. They got a new shop, orders are going out faster than ever before. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, and they're at stayreadygearusa.com. Man rubs! Shake it up, rub it up, smoke it up, pull it up. Throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. Oh, thank you. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They're at manrubs.com. We'll segue. Kind of like it. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms, will get you uh, strapped and packing heat faster than you can legally get there. Just kidding. Everything's legal. There's a lot of paperwork you got to do with fingerprint and all that other stuff. So tired of that paperwork. So am I. You can find Mike on his newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com and you can call him and ask about all the ammo he's been getting in via the telephone 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic. They love first responders. First responders love their IG. You can find them on mediocremedic.com and like I already said on Instagram. And last but not least, Zero Fucks Duck, Mark Joe Friday, dumpbox.us. Top tier tactical flare. You got a body carrier. You got an outer carrier. You get a zero fucks duck. You pull off the Velcro and you put it right on there. It's delicious. I have the uh, lovely. Lots of zero fucks ducks in my car. So Brandon, I agree. Apparently, so do I. Upcoming shows. We've just added a couple uh, new ones to the slew of them that we've got coming down the pike here. Back end of January, beginning of February. Um, we're going to be back on Tuesday with Dan Crenshaw's midterm challenger, Jameson Ellis in Texas 2. And we're also going to be sitting down with Jack Lombardi, who's running in Illinois 14. Pretty based Twitter account. You guys better go give both of them follows. Next Friday, we've got a pretty big show for y'all. Caroline Levitt, former assistant press secretary running in New Hampshire 1. She's going to be with us. Adam Lexalt, who's running for a Senate seat in Nevada, Trump endorsed. He's going to be joining us as well. And we're going to sit down and do the news with nationally syndicated radio host and podcaster Alex Abernathy. It's going to be a great show. Just scheduled these two today. Congratulations to us. We're going to be kicking off February, really America first, extremely Trump endorsed. And on the 1st of February, we're going to sit down with Miss Carrie Lake, who will be circling back to steak for breakfast. Nice. And Navy, Navy SEAL and former Missouri governor now running for a Senate seat in Missouri. Eric Greitens will be joining us as well. It's going to be a great show. You know what else is going to be great? The back end of that week. Because on Friday the 4th, we're going to have Amanda Milius and uh, North Carolina House Representative candidate Tony Cowden. Uh, He'll be joining us as well on that day. We'll have Christina Bob joining us on the 11th of February. In addition to that, we're going to have an America First roundtable with two of our former guests, New York 23 candidate Andrew McCarthy and... New York 11 candidate Desi Quaylar. They're going to sit down. They're going to do a New York City version of an America First roundtable with us. Nice. In addition to that, we're going to have an exclusive interview with Ren, the Raw Egg Nationalist. On the 15th of February, just scheduled this one as well, we're going to be breaking down everything January 6th with none other than the man who's uncovered everything, pretty much himself, Mr. Darren Beatty. And looking forward ahead to that on the 18th of February. So far, we've got Mallory Staples looking to run in Georgia 6. For her house candidacy right there. Friends of the week. Real Brenda memes accounts. The silent meme majority. Dumbass Photoshop. 
That Southern Dude, Mostly Peaceful Memes. Dank Elvis. Midnight Mitch, what I mean to say, period in between each word. Shoe White Memes. Looks like a little bump on Twitter earlier in the week. Grand Old Memes, The Duke of Memes, Lots of Memes, Sublime and Slime, and of course, he actually sent me a video that I shared on our Instagrams during this show. Hubertos. Nice. As I already mentioned, we'll be back on Tuesday for a big, big show, and we're going to be sitting down with Dan Crenshaw's primary challenger, Jameson Ellis, and Illinois' House candidate, Jack Lombardi. This has been episode 101 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Great week, guys. Antoinette? Bye, guys. Lovely. Lovely as always. Thank you for listening, and take care. administration has mismanaged COVID, it has mismanaged inflation, it has mismanaged the border, and it has mismanaged foreign policy all in one year. If the aliens landed tomorrow and said, take me to your leader, it would be embarrassing.